The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is Flight 82 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 29th of June, 2021. From the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's episode of the Squawk Ident podcast, we take a look at some of the recent developments in the aviation industry, to include the FAA's launching of a new confidential voluntary safety reporting program in the wake of Boeing Company's 737 MAX certification issues. We also take a look at Advisory Circular 120-27F, dated on the 6th of May, 2019, that has recently made an impact on some Part 121 operators with their recent adjustments to average passenger weights. We also take a look at some record-breaking fines that the FAA has imposed on passengers that have created headlines with their recent behaviors on board aircraft. We are also so very excited to hear about Captain Roger's recent additional type rating on the Falcon 900EZ and about Rob's final flight on the Boeing 737 and his ongoing transition to long-term Airbus flight training experiences at the Legacies Flight Training Center. All this and more on board Flight 82 of the Squawk Ident Podcast. Onboard 4284, flight heading 090, Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 82 of the Squawk Ident Podcast is officially underway. help me kick off today's show is superb aviator and squawk ident podcast co-host he is a former international professional racquetball champion a member of the ing club an amp and avionics tech an rc aircraft commander a boat skipper a commercial drone operator and currently an airbus pilot for legacy airlines the name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer a u.s mainline carrier from his castle in the swamplands of flower mound texas help us in welcoming on very own rob d rob how the heck are you? Tony, Roger, it's good to be back, man. It's been a while and uh, looking forward to a great show and sharing some good stories. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have a lot to catch up on. It's been a while since our last show. I'm very excited that we actually yeah. had our schedules mesh up so that we could actually do this today. It's yeah, been, been trying crazy. to put this one together for a while. Yeah, and uh, we're going to we're going to get into the detail of that a little bit later. But let's not waste any time and introduce our other fantastic co-host. Here to help us also get flight 82 off the ground is another exceptional aviator and co-host. He's an award-winning trophy hoisting tennis champion, a professional CFI I and MEI flight instructor, a former freight dog, a former airline pilot, a current King Air flight instructor, a Falcon 2000 commander, a captain, and a corporate operator as well. He joins us from his palace of chaos from somewhere in San Diego, California. Please help us in welcoming another amazing co-host, Captain Roger. Captain, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Tony. It's good to be back. 
been a while, like Rob was talking, was just talking about schedules have been uh, quite the battle lately. Oh, yes, they have. And anybody that looks at headlines about aviation can see that cancellations are afoot and weather and everything else is really throwing a wrench into the system. But it's not the only reason that these schedules have been crazy. And if we get a chance, we'll kind of detail a little bit about what we know about the situation. Sure. Lately, we've been seeing in the news feed here, especially from uh, Kyle's fantastic source of aviation information that's, you know, the legitimate source where you don't have to worry too much about, you know, false or incorrect news and dramatic stories coming your way. The Aviation Business Information Board on Facebook that Kyle runs. Uh, Kyle couldn't make it today. He was going to join us, but uh, hopefully he'll be here on the next one. Um, But one of the headlines that kind of caught my eye was that the FAA recently announced uh, on June 21st that it was going to be launching a new voluntary and anonymous safety reporting program. Now, a a lot of aviators out there go, well, wait a minute. Don't we already have that? It's called the ASAP program. And what is ASAP? Rob, you are familiar with the ASAP program, yes? I have filled out many ASAPs, yes. Uh, Aviation Safety Action Program, I believe is what the actual acronym is. Um, And it's just a way for uh, aviators and actually anybody uh, involved in the aviation industry to um, uh, report um, any unsafe findings without uh, self-incrimination or... um, yeah, it's basically just a tool that that is used by the FAA, and I think it was NASA also to uh, just kind of research unsafe practices and try to make them better and safer, and uh, safer for the traveling public and everybody involved. Yeah, and we've talked about this quite a bit on the show before. I mean, it, most aviation podcasts at one point will say just ASAP it, and you know we've we've detailed what it is. It's not a get out of jail free card. It's simply a reporting program that's. That's non-punitive as long as the aviator or airman, if I'm going to get woke on that term, uh, the air, uh, I can't say airman anymore. I have to say the aviator. All right. So the aviator (laughs) that, uh, you know, the aviators in question, uh, if something messed up, they busted an altitude or an airspeed or a limitation on the aircraft or something like that. And it was not done with an intentional non-compliance at the root of why it happened, then basically reporting that it was a safety issue, you know, we, oops, we messed up and here's what happened. And the information is de-identified in terms of the, uh, the date of the flight and the, and the names of the aviators uh, on board the aircraft. Uh, and sometimes even the, the tail number of the airplane is de-identified. And then it goes to a committee and they review it. And the committee is usually comprised of one member from the airline itself in question, another member from the pilot's union, and then the third member is usually the representative from the FAA. And over a period of time, they collect enough ASAPs and then they de-identify them. The gatekeeper is usually the secretary of the ASAP program. The, they get reviewed by this board or this committee. And most of the time, if no other agency has made a report or came to any kind of conclusion that they want action taken, then you'll receive something in the mail usually three or four months later saying, or an email saying, yeah, we've reviewed your ASAP um, report and no further action is necessary. Now, 
if they find that there was either gross negligence or intentional noncompliance, then you might get a different response saying, okay, we're going to interview you. The FAA is going to open an investigation. Um, they can open something called a SNAP, uh, which is not a official investigation, but more of a research to find out what happened, and then they go from there. Mm -hmm. But this is a little different. And I learned about this from an article from AvWeb that was posted on June 22nd by Mark Phillips. And it indicated that uh, facing the pressure in the wake of the two high-profile crashes of the Boeing 737 MAX airliners in late of 2018 and early of 2019, the FAA announced Monday that it was going to be launching a new voluntary safety reporting program. The initiative is an additional way for its engineers, safety inspectors, systems safety specialists, that's a tongue twister, and other aviation safety employees to report safety-related issues and concerns. And the big thing here is that it is anonymous. So it, there's concern that people didn't report things that they saw that were not quite right because of the fear of punitive action. So the agency has faced scrutiny over concerns that it was not strict enough in its oversight of the Boeing uh, aircraft uh, 737 MAX certification process, particularly in the areas of its maneuvering characteristics augmentation system, or what we've been hearing about quite a bit, or the MCAS system. Yeah. So the FAA had a, made a statement and it noted that it already has a long list of voluntary safety reporting programs in place, as the ASAP program that we mentioned earlier right. is, is an example of one. And adding to the risk of the fatal air accidents that decreased by 94% since 1998, but uh, as FAA Administrator Steve Dixon said, we can never be satisfied with the status quo when it comes to safety. And the free exchange of vital information is a cornerstone of safety and continual improvement. We want our employees to know that when they speak up, they can be sure someone is listening. So this is an interesting, yeah. positive article about these safety programs. Now, Roger, have you ever had the, the liberty to fill out one of these ASAP or NASA reports? Yeah, so I haven't. I mean, I've done ASAP reporting when I was at the airlines. Mm -hmm. And there was, I, I didn't, I only did a couple or a few of them i have actually not done in the ga we have the nasa reports it's, i mean basically the same principle and i have not ever filled out a nasa report from a ga um i'm not sure what that whether if that's a good thing or a bad thing um but you know i think it's a good pro it's a great program actually i mean basically it's to learn in order to learn from other people's mistakes. You know, they take mm -hmm. these and compile huge amounts of reports and say, okay, these are some of the problems or these are some of the issues that the aviation community in general is having. And they can take that and go, okay, well, these are the kinds of things that we want to emphasize in training, whether you're going through for a recurrent um, cycle at your airline, or you're going in for your recurrent, you know, type rating class in the GA world or just going for a, a typical check ride, whether that's your private or commercial or instrument check ride, because they have all this data about, look, these are the problem, the potential problem areas that people are having because we have hard data on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the ASAP program is not just about, oops, I made a mistake. I busted an altitude. I forgot to you know, change my altimeter setting to standard passing through 18,000 feet, whatever it could be. You could also 
have seen something that was safety related that you think may potentially be a problem for a flight crew in the future. And you can just do an ASAP report on that. Not that something bad happened, but you see something that could improve safety. And those are the reports that, uh, as I've spoken to members of the safety committee over at Legacy Airlines, those are the reports that they really enjoy reading because those are straight up, hey, let's make things better. And these, as Roger was saying, these safety reports get um, collected and the data gets looked at. And if there is a change that needs to happen through a regulation, that is where they're getting a lot of their data from the flight crews that are actually on the line having line experience. And because of their line experience, they can give a more accurate assessment to where safety can be improved. So, I mean, whether you're you're uh, listening to these three knuckleheads here on the Squawk Identity yeah. podcast or any other podcast about aviation, you know, a- any good pilot will tell you, use the tools available yeah. to you to improve the safety around you because you may not yeah. see the immediate reaction today, but as that data is collected, the FAA or whatever organization is responsible for that side of the, the issue will then be able to collect that data and make yeah. a change. If I, may, if I may add to this also, it's not only, it doesn't only pertain to pilots. Um, it is all-encompassing right. within the FAA. So, uh, you know, us being on the air ops side, you know, we, we mainly use it for, you know, flying pilot-related stuff, but it's for everything. Um, air traffic controllers have to fill out ASAPs also. When they uh, when they feel that there's something in jeopardy, and also it 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 also pertains to anything on the flight attendants or ground ops side, because you know all the things that we do on a 121 carrier is regulated and and um, closely scrutinized by the FAA. So even if a ramper walks by um, and sees something that he thinks is unsafe, or he witnesses something that may possibly be a violation of a regulation, um, he is also um, welcome or you know i forget the i don't know the actual term i would use but he is also allowed to fill out an asap and um get that reviewed by um you know whoever it goes to yeah and and the asap program is not the only program especially for those aviators out there or pilots that uh are working for a carrier uh 121 carrier especially i know we at legacy have our own reporting system um, both uh, reporting for safety issues. We have mandatory reports that must be filled out. Uh, I you know, remember about four show, three or four shows ago, I talked about the incident I had in Hawaii with the passenger misconduct situation where we had to return to the gate. Now, normally, you, know, you look into our operations manual and it says, well, the captain shall fill out a report within so many hours of returning to base, blah, 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 blah. Or depending on the severity of the incident, you know, the report must be filled out within 24 hours. Things like bird strikes, aborted takeoffs for anything other than, you know, air traffic separation or something. Uh, There's any kind of malfunction to a flight control, which is an immediate emergency declaration if if you're in flight. But that also requires that you're going to have to fill out some paperwork, some forms. And why not fill out an ASAP report? You know, what caused it? What well, is there a safety issue? You know, so because that data is collected and 
you know, yeah. for sure, it, it does make a difference. Because yeah. a lot of our a lot of our uh, operations and procedures are there for a reason, and most of it's for safety and to comply with reg rules and regulations. But a lot of that is written in blood. You know what I mean? Somebody either yeah. got hurt or killed, um, or numerous people, and so uh, you know what we're trying to do is prevent us from even getting to that point. <laughs> we want to prevent it from even becoming uh, a hazard uh, so that we can all move about the country or the world safely. And that's basically the bottom line. Yeah. So definitely take a look at what reporting uh, programs are available to you, uh, whether you're a GA pilot or, yeah. you know, even considering getting your, exactly. your, your student, student pilot, pilot license. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, is an organization, a nonprofit organization that's available to all pilots and even people that are not pilots. Um, and I highly encourage you to check out their website at aopa.org. Uh, and they have also programs. Once you become a member, uh, you know, and this is not a sponsored plug here. Uh, they're, they're not paying me. As a matter of fact, nobody's paying me. This has totally a, <laughs> been a, uh, a, a podcast of, of love and, and passion. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, AOP is a great opportunity. And I, to this day, you know, 20 years later, I still have my AOPA membership. I pay my dues, you know, once a year and I have access to all these programs. And, you know, if I get back into GA, maybe buy an airplane someday when I can afford it, <laughs> uh, I'll absolutely, you know, be proud to look at my AOPA card and says, you know, member for 20 plus years. It's, it's, it's a great accomplishment. And they have programs out there for the general aviation public, safety reporting programs, legal programs. If you're going to rent an airplane, that's pretty expensive. You can yeah. get renter's insurance through them. It's not that expensive. So definitely take a look at that as well. Another headline that has uh, caught my eye here this last week was this increased average passenger weights on board U.S. airline operators. Now, we here at Legacy Airlines received some intercompany email recently indicating that uh, our Summer and winter weights, because we use a different average passenger weights for summer as we do winter. Because in wintertime, people usually carry a coat with them and extra heavier bags because now they're carrying heavier stuff, more, more clothing. Uh, so our summer weights got adjusted to 182 pounds per passenger. And our winter weights got adjusted to 187 pounds. Now this is up 16 pounds, 16 pounds from previous they are in effect right now. Now, if you're not familiar with passenger weights, weight and balance, I mean, any private pilot that is learning how to figure out weight and balance on the aircraft knows about passenger weights uh, because you have to calculate the weight of the aircraft, the weight of the fuel that you're carrying with you, and the weight of the cargo, and the weight of the passengers. And then you have to take that into consideration Get your final numbers, and that's how you can figure out performance. Do you have enough uh, horsepower, excess thrust, however you want to put it into terms of what you're flying, to take off and have the performance you need to satisfy all the requirements on takeoff? Get your obstacle clearance and whatnot. Density altitude definitely has a role to play with this as well, especially with as normally aspirated engines. Um, and with jets, you know, we're, we're looking at outside air temperature, elevation, all the things that take a hit onto performance. Well, passenger weights 
doesn't seem like a big deal. So it's 16 pounds heavier per person. Add that up times 200, and you're talking thousands of pounds of difference. Now, does that really matter? Well, absolutely it does. And why? What's the big change? Roger, have you had to deal with passenger weights other than, I mean, do you guys take the actual weight of the passengers when you're calculating weight and balance prior to the flight? Or do you have an average as well on a part 91? Uh, that kind of depends on, on who's doing it in the GA world. If you're, if you're flying on one of the more in the 135 world, you're going to be using more of the um, average weight. Some people do you actual weights though, for our weight and balance purposes, <clears throat> excuse me, we can act, we can manipulate. I don't use an average weight because we don't have 180 passengers. Obviously, when you're over 180 passengers, an average is going to work out a little bit better. If I've only got four to eight passengers, it's much easier for me to just kind of take an average in my head and go from there. And then can, and I can manipulate it depending on if they're younger, um, if, they're, if it's more of a female trip versus more of a male's trip. Um, and I can manipulate that anywhere. And also, we are not usually working very close to our maximum um, takeoff weights and, and max gross weights. And so we have a little bit more leeway. Although I will say that just last week, um, I did actually have to take this into consideration because we were sitting at max gross weights and I was extremely hot and very heavy. Um, for me and what I do, it's a moving target. I don't ever take just an, a normal average. I manipulate it a little bit just because our passengers are much fewer and it's easier to do it in our heads. And so um, it's always something that can be changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Rob, have you, uh, you know, you've been in, in training, which we'll get to here mm -hmm. a little bit later in the show, but you did see that email. Um, did you yeah. see the, how it affects the Airbus? Yeah, pilots? definitely. Well, I haven't read too much into that, but I definitely, understand how it's going to affect the airbus and obviously my previous airplane the 737 uh with the oasis configuration um just the weights in general you know i mean up until this point um the airlines uh, philosophy was <laughs> to to generate the maximum amount of revenue out of every airplane is to, is to sure. you know put as many people inside the airplane as they can legally um and confine it to the uh, the actual weight of of the sh of the airplane's limitation, um, and with the uh, seven thirty seven, the 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 result was to add twelve seats. So we went from one hundred sixty seat configuration to one hundred seventy two. So, um, uh -huh. and so you know that that fit within the weight restriction of the airplane for maximum takeoff, structural landing weight, ramp weight, and all the fancy weights we have to. Uh, you know, comply with. Well, bumping up the uh, the weights an average of what we say sixteen pounds per passenger uh -huh. now puts us at or above a lot of these limiting weights. So now we're going to end up restricting um, some of these flights uh, payload wise or or weight wise. So um, you know, either that means taking less passengers, taking less cargo. Um, we certainly can't take less less fuel. Um, so, you know, we have to take it out of somewhere. So what's the most important thing? We're gonna, probably going to keep fuel <laughs> to get the airplane there and start kicking off bags and passengers. So um, we already 
Well, we, yeah, we already have a bag problem. <laughs> so, you know, we're probably going to have even more bag problems because we can't take all the bags. Um, and, you know, passengers are yeah. probably the third string on that because they're more important because they're the ones paying for the bags and the passengers. So, um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. And the crazy thing is, is, you know, a lot of this stems from years and years of, uh, of, of history. Um, and, you know, this particular topic where, you know, the weight increase is again, written in blood, just like I mentioned earlier. Um, one of the most notable incidents was Air Midwest flight 5481, um, which, uh, departed Char. It was a, uh, Beach night, Beechcraft 1900, which took off out of Charlotte on January 8, 2003. And this airplane ended up crashing and killing everybody on board. Um, actually, 21, yeah, tw- killing all 21 people on board. The cause of the crash was attributed to multiple, multiple factors, but mainly was the airplane was overweight. Um, the airplane was overweight and the center of gravity was too far aft. It was way aft of what the actual takeoff CG um, center of gravity would was uh, that was legal for that airplane. So when the airplane rotated, it was tail heavy. And of course, being tail heavy, it over rotated, entered a stall, and it was unrecoverable. And they uh, stalled and crashed into the big maintenance hangar, which we see on the uh, east side of the uh, 1-8 center, 3-6 center um, runway. Um, but the FAA found out that the, not only were the bat, uh, the passengers, uh, there were more weight in passengers than what was recorded, but also there was more luggage than what, uh, more weight in luggage than they had recorded. And everything at this time was all done on paper. So, um, Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, they, they, basically loaded the bags up. They put the weights on a piece of paper. They'd hand it to the flight crew. The flight crew would would add up the weights and and everything and you know penmanship was an issue so you know sometimes sevens look uh, nines look like fours fours look like nine so there was you know some mistakes that could have been made there and there's yeah. also at the time uh they were they were known to actually kind of fudge some of the numbers just to get him get them to work um and there yeah. are certain ways to do that which you would think there wouldn't be but there were um and that derived uh that drove the whole industry uh, the airline industry to transition into the electronic weight and balance system where now everything was electronically weighted and you had to get an electronic printout. So now there's no way to really uh, manipulate the numbers because they all came out either. This is it either here it is, or it's not there. And if it was here, this is the weight. So um, we, we've been operating on that principle and, and it also depends on what kind of airplane you're flying now in the 121 world. Um, there's different programs associated with that, whether it's a carry-on program or like we have here, uh, or like we had at at, at a um, Sandpiper. I, I forget what the program was called, but I don't think it was called a carry-on program. But you actually have to check your check your carry-on because you couldn't bring it on the airplane. So that was a different. Right. That was on the same program, but it's a different uh, version of the program. So it had different weights associated with that. But long story short, um, here we are now. Um, with, uh, you know, the way they've been cramming all these airplanes full of people, um, come to find out, you know, we've been probably overweight, uh, according to the new numbers on a lot of the previous flights. So I think they're they're trying to just prevent another incident or accident from happening because we're really getting to the point where, uh, 
obviously the planes are full and overcrowded and you, know, you could barely reach down to get your bag from underneath the seat in front of you because the seat is so close to you and they're cramming everybody in there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the only thing really, I mean, the leg room has really decreased. Oh. And the farther back you go on the aircraft, the tighter the leg yeah. room seems to be. But, you know, it's interesting. And thank you for bringing up Air Midwest Flight 581. I'll put a link, or 5481, 5481. Yep. I'll put a link in the show notes here. Um, the interesting thing, I was just kind of uh, looking over this. This incident or accident happened in, in January of 2003. And when you look down at the uh, aftermath of this, the NTSB reported that the last time an adjustment to estimated weight values was revised prior to this crash was in the year 1936. Wow. So that's a long period of time Wow. to reassess what average wow. weights are for people and whatnot. Um, yeah. They used an average weight of 200 pounds per passenger after the accident. But the NTSB suggested the airlines use actual weights instead of the average. 70% of small air carriers still use average. And Air Midwest publicly apologized for the incident after the family of crash victim Christina Grace Shepard pressured the airline to do so. And Air Midwest, it's important to note that they ceased operations in the year 2008. Now, do you know what company they were associated with? Does anybody know or remember? No. Mesa. Air Midwest was one of the Mesa carriers. Just uh, FYI. Yeah. Not that there's tip, anything yeah. wrong with that. Yeah, so, a bit of useless information. So why did we bring this up? Yeah, you know, There's a recent article, as we mentioned earlier, and I'll put, again, a link in the show notes, uh, airinsight.com, in an article that was published back in May 11th of 2021 by Addison Schoonland on May 6th, 2019. The FAA put out a circular, an advisory circular, that seemed to have attracted very little attention. It was about weight and balances. The kicker here is that the information on the use of average estimated weight programs for passengers and baggage, this is the other side of the story to feeling coach seats are getting smaller. Seats are not getting smaller. Legroom is getting tighter. It's people who are getting bigger. So what she's saying <laughs> is say that. <laughs> that people are getting bigger, not necessarily the seats are getting smaller. Yeah. And since these FAA rules, it's American travelers that get squeezed. 30% of adults, 20 years of age and older, oh, that's over 60 million people, in are, they're obese. They're considered obese by the National I'm Center of obese. Health Statistics. <laughs> Dang, dude. Yeah, man. If you don't think you're going to like what's coming in the rest of the article, you best skip the rest of the story now. So <laughs> I'll let the, 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 the listeners decide to continue to read. But basically what happened is this came out back in 2019. This circular says, hey, periodically, the airlines, it's up to each individual 121 carrier to do an assessment on their weight balance procedures and their average weights of bags and customers. And the way they could do this is, is uh, there's different methodology. You can actually take a survey and ask passengers what their weight is as they board an aircraft for a period of time. And then from that data, collect it and then assess what your new airline's program is going to be for their average weight. Um, or you can, you know, independently 
put people on a scale in yeah. front of the, they get they're getting on their plate. Please stand on the scale, please. <laughs> and yeah. you know, um, and it's supposed to be confidential, and nobody sees the numbers. It's not in any way in an effort to embarrass people. They try to keep people as comfortable as possible. So American did this for a period of time. Uh, I'm not sure how. I've always uh, thought that when you board an aircraft in Miami and you step on the little pad and the doors open, that's like, man, that's kind of slick. Maybe they're taking my weight. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but what happened over at Legacy Airlines, uh, they found out that with these new weights, it actually triggered a structural exceedance uh, inspection on the brake release. Um, what what that means is. It's possible now that whereas in the past we didn't have a structural exceedance, now with this new passenger weight, the airplane could be over the structural Max limit. Ramp weight. Yeah. Ramp weight, taxi weight, um, yeah. max takeoff weight. And additionally, for the uh, Airbus 321, there's some pretty major issues that might be afoot. Um, a flight ops bulletin was put out for Airbus types in the fleet over at Legacy, excluding the NX because the NX is not uh, a factor here. And it states that due to floor loading constraints of the Airbus A321 basic and enhanced models, the aft cargo weight is limited when fuel is required in any of the ACTs or additional center tanks. It goes on to state that even though load planning and customer service departments are responsible to ensure that cargo loading complies with these restrictions, flight crews should be aware that late changes to fueling that requires the use of ACT tanks should be communicated promptly to load planning to minimize delays. What does this mean? You could be over structural limit. You could be over the ramp weight. Um, so... There are routes that we perform regularly. It going to Hawaii, yes, Legacy does use the NXs now. They before they had the H model, but now they're using the NXs. So okay, maybe that's not gonna really be an issue too much. But there are those transcon flights as well, done on the basic and enhanced models, the 321s, where they have a forward and aft ACT, putting fuel in those tanks because it's an operational requirement, then if you go with full passenger, full cargo, you could have aft CG issues. Yeah, it could be the same issues that Rob was talking about with the Air Midwest flight, with aft loading, which is extremely dangerous. I, 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 got, yeah. a, I got a couple questions on this for you guys, if I might. And this is a, a kind of a, a little bit of a fascinating subject. And just kind of having seen this in the show notes, I had a couple questions just for you guys and, and your thoughts on some of this mm -hmm. I mean, looking at the regionals so i guess my first question looking back to the regionals as i recall when we got our weight and balance when we were you know when i flew the 145 which i know tony you flew and 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 rob for for that and the the 170 as i recall when we got the numbers we had both checked bags and then we also had an entry for gate checked bags as yeah, I valet, recall, was valet it? bags, they called them. Yeah. And because the weights were actually different, depending on whether mm -hmm. it was a valet check bag or whether it was a, uh, an actual check baggage. Am I right? Right. Right. Yeah. So I find it a little interesting that when we load those bags at the regional airlines, that gets counted as separate weight. 
And yet, I don't know what it's not really been brought up so far. But when that check bag that I valet checked on my on my first flight to then connect to my mainline flight to Hawaii, the average passenger weight on both of those airplanes is exactly the same. And yet that valet check bag is actually calculated in the weight and balance at the regional flight. But that average passenger weight at a mainline airline is actually included in the average passenger weight. Right. And nobody really, I don't, I don't think a lot of people actually realize that, that we're not actually just weighing a person, but your average weight actually includes the weight of their carry-on as well, which could be 20 additional pounds. And when you've totally. got 120, we'll just say 120 bags, I mean, yeah. that 20 pounds per bag adds up. Yeah. And something we haven't mentioned, which uh, you're probably getting to now also, is that there's always that margin of error that they factor into all these weights. So I, I don't I don't remember what the actual margin is, but I'm just going to throw a number out there, which I've heard is a lot of times is 15 percent, okay. you know, something 15 percent buffer. So even if we're over by, you know, I mean, obviously we're talking hundreds and thousands of pounds, but if we're over, you know, five or 10 percent, it falls within that safety margin. And then the actual structural weight of the airplane has another buffet safety margin in built into that too sure so obviously the whole idea is not to you know encroach on any of those margins but there is room for error right. on you know above above uh you know over over underestimating the weight that we actually have i just still think it's kind but, of a it's kind of ridiculous that we, yeah. we do calculate those carry-ons at, at a regional but then we don't calculate it, especially when, and then we are going to say an average passenger, even, okay, at 16 pounds higher, yeah. there is no way that you can actually realistically convince me that the well, average weight of a person and their bag uh -huh. getting onto an airplane right now is 184 pounds. There's no, just I no totally way. Agree. I know that, but, in, but you, you may know, or you may not know that the, the weights at a regional airline are also different from what they are at a legacy airline right. and it's just it just has to do with the, with the valet the program like that, that they're, they're so doing that would, so that would take kind of take that into yeah. account I'd it say. takes yeah. into account so every like the, airline the is a different. carry on program yeah uh i think they call it a carry on program where you actually so. it's kind of counterintuitive where you have to actually check your carry on yeah. whereas on the airlines they don't have the carry on so the weights are a little higher because they think you're going to bring it on but, so it's all it's all an average. It's all measured with a laser and cut with an axe. You know, yeah, we've heard this term yeah, before. Yeah. And here's something that will blow your mind. So for a time period, when I was first hired on at Sandpiper, and I know, Rob, you, you dealt with this too, they hammered it into us that we had to know how to do a manual weight and balance because the electronic oh, weight and balance was brand new to the company back in 2006 and 2005. Yeah. And so we had to really know. Additionally, if the aircraft diverted to an alternate or a different airport at any point in the flight, when you landed, the way the system was set up, you had to fill out an electronic or a, a manual, manual weight and balance, spin what were they called the whiz wheel or the, yeah. the their version of the E6B calculator. Yeah. Manual calculator. And you had to do a manual weight and balance prior to takeoff. And you had to give, it was a three-part form. You had to give what the, the pink... Yeah. Uh, portion yeah. of the form to the station, the white portion stayed with you in the cockpit, and then the yeah, yellow like portion that, yeah. you could file away to chief pilot or whatever. So yeah. you had to really know how to do this. And then as time progressed, they went 100% electronic weight and balance, 
and even on I don't I don't know if they're say, still doing the diversion. You remember those days, paper. man? You'd sit there, you'd get have to show up to work early. Yeah. And grab a stack of those forms mm-hmm. and and pre-fill them out for your day. I mean, you'd take your schedule, you'd have five flights, right? And and you'd sit there and you'd it, 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 there's a lot of information that was required on these weight and balance forms. Yep. You know, the tail number, the flight number, the departure city, the destination, yep. who the captain was. I mean, and then you'd have to go to each airplane that you're in and get the basic operating weight. I mean, it was... The zones. Yeah, you had to look at the seat map that was inside the AML cover that exactly. to figure out zone yeah. A was a, row 1 through 10 or yeah. whatever, and zone B was like 10 through 15 or whatever. Yeah. So you had to know the zones where people were seated. You had to count how many children versus how many adults right. because those were different weights. And then you had to spin it all, and you had to move the... The, the CG, uh, the donut or the whiz wheel, you had to, to clamp it the, together to get the graph. And so what happened is when we went to electronic and we were doing electronic 99% of the time, all of a sudden you had to divert, okay? And now the FO, who was the one that could fill out a weight and balance within a minute, because that's we did that every leg. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I haven't filled one of these things out in two years. How the hell do you do this? And then you come up with these numbers and you're like, these numbers don't make any sense to me. So now you look at the captain and go, hey, captain, do you remember how to do this? And they look at you like you're speaking Chinese. They're like, hey, what? I done it in six years. All, yeah, yeah. All I do is turn the wheel. He goes, well, you know, let's let's do it together. We'll work on it together. And so you're like, okay. Uh, so you're, you figure it out and you're like, it looks good enough to me. It says we're yeah. legal. Let's go. So what's the trim yeah. setting going to be? Uh, I don't know. What's it say? Uh, eight six? Up. Eight up? Yeah. <laughs> when in doubt, up, yeah. 7.5. When in doubt. Yeah, seven, uh, yep. So... And this is, but this was also an issue because does that sway your decision to divert? Oh God, I don't want to divert because I'm going to have to fill out a weight and balance. Maybe, (laughs) maybe. And then here's another little fun fact that might blow your mind. So as Roger mentioned, we had the carry on, Rob as well, we had the carry on weight and balance calculations, meaning the aircraft overhead bins were not large enough to satisfy a standard carry-on suitcase. They're good for backpacks and briefcases and jackets, but not big enough for a standard carry-on. So anyone that's flown on a regional aircraft that's you know smaller than a 170, basically a 145 CRJ, things like that, you know you're going to have to valet check your bags, meaning you drop the bag off at the gate, they put a tag on it, and then it gets taken to the cargo hold. And before you exit the jetway, you will retrieve your valet bag. In theory. In yep. theory. That's how it would work. <laughs> and uh, so there was a weight, uh, the average weight for a carry-on, and I don't remember the exacts, but back yeah. then I think it was like- 20 pounds or something like that? I think it might have been more. Yeah, I think 20, it was 30. 30. 30 35 pounds, pounds for a carry-on. Yeah. Any yeah. bag that was heavy was considered 50 or above. And a valet bag, I think, was 15 pounds. That, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. yeah. 15 and 30. So- Here's the thing. Oh, we're overweight. Well, is there any room in the closet? Can we put some of the valet bags in the closet? Yeah. Oh yeah, grab three valet bags. Yeah. Let's stack them in the closet. That'll exactly. put us. That'll now put us because we're only over by like forty-five pounds. Okay, that, but now we're fine because and that's if it's exactly inside what I was the aircraft. With the Air Midwest flight is that those are some of the uh, the fudging that they could do. Yeah. So you were like, wait a minute. It was fifteen pounds per bag when it was in the aft of the aircraft, but when it's towards the front door in the closet that was not really meant for more than the passenger in 1A. Like 1A, he could put their, he or she could put their bag there. 
so, and then when the FAA caught wind of what was happening, all of a sudden there was a change to our uh, operations manual saying uh, customer bags are not allowed in the forward uh, closet at any wow. time and bags are not allowed to be stacked at any time. So the only thing that went in there were the crew bags and coats and things like that. Um, but that's the reason why is because yeah. people found ways to manipulate the system and the, and the game. And I can't tell you how many times that we would go on a flight and the weight and balance, everything came out electronically. We were fine. We get to our destination and I'm sitting there doing a post flight, walking around to the cargo hold and watching these rampers open up the cargo hold and the bags are cubed out, falling over the net because there's like, wait a minute, there's way more bags in here than, <laughs> than the weight and balance that should have <laughs> indicated. Um, and, and again, here's another issue, cubing out. What does that mean? That means you have more bags that will physically fit in your cargo hold. So you end up cubing out. And what do you do with those extra bags? Well, you send them on a later flight. All these, these weight and balance issues that most pilots just have to know the basics to, to understand and operate the flight safe, safely, but there are so many issues. And this is what drives the FAA nuts, is that when these things happen... These are the these are the causations to crashes, and people don't think it's yeah. a big deal. Ah, you know, it's a couple pounds here. It is a big deal, and because we've seen written in blood, as as Rob mentioned earlier, over and over and over again, when you fudge the system, this is what's going to happen. You might be able to get yeah. past two thousand times where a plane took off overweight, and it was not a big deal because they were within that safety margin that are built into everything in aviation. But that 2001 or first time that it happened, it led to a crash and then everything gets changed. I, I, got, yep. I got one other question, if I may, for you Airbus guys. Okay. So when you're talking about this weight and balance thing, uh, we'll, we'll just take a, a 320. What is the capacity of your guys' 320? Which one? <laughs> Which one? Yeah. Uh, there's many different multiple ones. aircraft take configurations. Your, take, take your pick. Uh, uh, what? Hold on, not, I got it here. 160. Let me see if I can find it. Seven? That might be total SOB. Yeah, there, like you said, there's a lot of different weights. So a 320, what, what weight you're looking for? Takeoff weight? No, passenger no, configuration. Passenger configuration. Oh yeah, the, let's just go with a Neo. We'll, from we'll what go. I learned, there's there's so many all different right. configurations for all the different airplanes that we have. Even a 320 may have four or five different configurations. Well, we have the all the because we've had all the other air, all the airlines combined in the one. So we've had it, and we've bought airplanes from like Frontier and all that stuff. So all the configurations, interior interior configurations are different. Okay, so for just an example, the 321 that. Legacy has been retrofitting into what they call the Oasis configuration. This is the configuration where the overhead bins are slightly taller and the bags fit in vertically. Okay. Okay. This configuration has 20 business class, 35 main cabin extra, 135 coach. That makes 190 total passengers, okay. not just, including just, crew. All right. So let's just go with that number. 
All right. And, and the reason I'm asking is it's interesting that, that uh, Rob just brought up Frontier because that's actually kind of where I'm going with this. You guys, you're talking about the, the issue of potential weight and just using this base, like, like the specific number doesn't really matter. Where it was 190 seats that you had on this Airbus 321 that you just gave me. Mm-hmm. But when Frontier, they've got like two, I think it's 230. Okay. Because they don't have like the business configuration classes. And, so they can so they shove save a whole, space. So how is it that Frontier is able to put a, what is that, 50 more people? So 50 times, I mean, what is that, 10, so 50 times 200? We'll just say that's that's 10,000 extra pounds. How is it that that Frontier can operate? And I honestly don't know the answer to this question. Yeah. Okay. Um, but how is it that, that Frontier can have 10,000 more pounds of people on board yeah. but not have these fuel problems but Legacy Airlines does? I mean, do you know what the... I, like, I don't know like, if they do. That? They could potentially yeah. do. But here's this. What are you removing out of the aircraft in order to put more in? So right. how much does a business class, fully electronic, lay down, or, you know, yeah. weigh? That seat must weigh a lot yeah. more. And the number of lavatories they have on the airplane, you right. minus a lavatory, now you're saving, you know, 5,000 pounds there. Do they um, have so the uh, so in-flight entertainment? The airplane itself, the airplane itself from a, a basic operating weight is probably yep. just much, is much less in order stripped down. In order right. It's the way they have it configured. People, people well, well, look at their seats. Are their seats as comfortable or are, and which means are they as heavy as okay. a legacy hey, airline hey, seat? Okay, okay. Just, yeah, let's just not stop because you're talking to a client <laughs> that flies on legacy airlines from time to time and do not try to sell me on the comfort of your guys' seats. Don't hey, try to on. sell me. Don't try to sell me on with that our trash. Competitors. Well, right. let's, let's just stay in with legacy, okay? So this Oasis <laughs> configuration, there's a reason they could put 190 people on the aircraft versus the, I think it was 182 on the previous configuration, depending on what, what model it was. Okay, so why? Because they put in the new seats as well. And, and anybody that's been on a Legacy or a 737 Max, for example, you look at the seat and you're like, this thing is all plastic and there's barely right. any padding. And you're, my butt feels like it's been sitting on a concrete slab for the last 20 minutes. What the heck? Yeah. It's because they like say weight. Like, like Frontier. Frontier. It's the same seat. The 737 right. so Max kind of, seat is the I Frontier think it, seat. It's the same. That's those slimline seats. Yeah, exactly. and they made them yeah. skinnier, and so over the course of the length of the entire airplane, I think they can fit like two more rows. Exactly, I mean, that's twelve yeah. more, and so, but more so more weight, is... more weight to the aircraft because now the aircraft's basic operating weight is less. Its max structural weight is the same. So, by any de- by any definition of mathematics, you can put more cargo, more passengers on there. So. That I think that is is really to answer your question is how they can fit more people on an economy aircraft, economy seating arrangement aircraft, than they can with an aircraft that caters more towards the business traveler. They want a more cushioned seat. They want better in-flight entertainment. They want the LCD screen in front of them. They want better Wi-Fi. That Wi-Fi antenna that sits on the cab of the uh, the fuselage, that thing's like a couple well, thousand pounds. Well, and actually just bringing up the in-seat entertainment. I mean, the, the cost and the weight of, of, a, of a screen in every seat yeah. that, mo- that I think most legacies, legacy airlines as a whole, you know, Delta, United, American, they all have that. And I'm sure that that adds to the weight of a seat probably substantially over the course of 180. You know what it is, uh, Roger? It's not the weight of the LCD screen because anybody that has a 
tablet knows that so they don't have weigh wiring. much. The wiring loom. Yeah, Every single copper. seat has to has to have its own uh, yeah. wiring loom. So it's the wiring that's associated and the and the electronics involved because you yeah, 120 times two pounds or 180 or 190 seats times two pounds per screen, it's not a big deal. You ever hold a couple thousand feet of copper wiring times however many wires are in the loom, that's going to be thousands of pounds. Yeah, that is that is a good point, bringing that up with the in-flight entertainment. Yeah. Anyway, I just think, you know, you've got a substantial amount more seats and take your configuration, 319, 320, 321, you know, in that ultra low cost carrier, whether it's Spirit Frontier, I just use Frontier as an example, but uh-huh. um, yeah, they put yeah. a whole lot more people on there, the same type of airplane as the, yeah. the legacy, the legacy. But also carriers. how are they operating the airplane? You know, they're not taking that. I don't think they take that airplane to Hawaii, do they? Which Frontier? one? Not yet. Although I think Frontier just came out that with one of the 321 configurations, yeah. they, they, they could probably they do are, with the Neo, but I don't think but... that they quite stretch out the range for the fuel quite as yeah. much. But then yeah, you start getting alternates in, and you know, yeah, I, I, know I know everyone has some issues with that if you got to have yeah. an alternate. Over 42, ADF 40, need assistance? Negative. Roger that. Just taxi over to the left side of the pod. Let me know when you're ready to go again. So, we can see the aborted. I have a cockpit door open. Oh, Roger. Okay. Let me know if you need it. Yeah, we're good. Um, I was looking at the thrust ratings uh, of the engines for Mm -hmm. the Airbus family or the A320F is what we call it, A32F. Um, The 321. Did you you want to feel powerful looking at those? 32,160 pounds of thrust. Can you imagine if you're standing behind one of those engines on takeoff and they set thrust, you're 32,000 pounds against you? You know, that airport down in St. Martin, people would do that. Hold on to the fence. Yeah. yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> Nut job. Stupid. Those are mostly airline employees, by the way. They are go they down really? there they, I think so, because that's like, you know, a, a big plane spotter destination. And I think, you know, because we yeah. go there, a lot of people go there for the picture. And I did find the uh, seating configuration to answer Roger's earlier question. Uh, the A320, okay, the 320, the original, the OG, uh, 150 passengers total. At least at Legacy Airlines. Uh, the, Which the kind of figure that was about that. Yeah. A 321 non-sharklet, 187. The 321K or the 321R with sharklets, 190. The 321T model. Now, this is the Transcon, Transcon. model. Only 102. Yeah. Because it has a three-class configuration. It has the lie-down flat seats. It has... The 10 of those, it has 20 of the business class seats, which most people call first class, but it's, it's, if it doesn't lay down flat, it, it's considered business for a legacy. Um, and then 72 of the economy extra, whatever they call it, um, they don't have any yeah, economy. Yeah, so that's a plane specifically catered for your LA to New York crowd. Exactly. Basically. That's all it does, right? A couple yeah. of Boston in there too. The 321H, which I believe are no longer... Uh, being used for any ETOPS, uh, and the 321S, which is probably the most popular one, 181. So most of the time, you have 181 plus six crew members, 187 total SOB, souls on board. Um, and the NEO, 196, as we mentioned earlier. So the 319, or the baby bus, we're looking at 128 total passengers. 
So, you know, we have a wide variety of Airbus 320, 320 family aircraft at Legacy. So yeah, the next time you're on board, take a look around and try to figure out what kind of airplane you're on. The emergency evacuation briefing card will tell you the model, 321T, 321K, and that's how you'll know. Mm. You know, here on the show, we've talked a lot about what we've been dealing with since the beginning of COVID and even before then. Um, I remember one of the shows, one of my first shows, we were talking about infectious diseases on aircraft. It was the holiday season and the flu. And we all talk about, you know, the most uh, contagious part of an airplane. I, I remember doing a, a story on that way back in 2019 about how, you know, when you're traveling on an airplane, what's the most riddled with germs, you know, it's not the bathroom. Like some people think it's not the, the, the toilet handle or the push button. It's actually the aisle headrest because that is the point of contact where especially people that are unstable or not able to walk very well, they grab onto the headrest as they're walking down the aisle. The other part was the, the passenger service unit, the PSU. What is that? That's over your head that has the reading light and the air conditioner gasper vent, the, the little rotating circular air vent. That thing is not very clean. Uh, and the tray table, because there just is not enough time for people to come through on a hour turn, which means 20 minutes of deplaning and 20 minutes of planing. So really you have less than 20, 15, 20 minutes to clean an entire airplane. And if you have 190 seats on board, and usually the cabin cleaners, there's a team of six of them. Sometimes there's a team of four. Sometimes there's one. It just depends. Right now, they've definitely stepped it up. And now they're using all kinds of sanitizing materials and spray. And they use the vacuum cleaner. And they're, they even go through with the electrostatic uh, wand every once in a while. Pretty cool machine. A uh, cool little cordless thing. And they spray all the seats and tray tables and everything down as a COVID prevention tool. And all the airlines are doing a really good job on that. But we've been talking about those kind of things, and we've also been talking about abusive passengers. And that has really hit the news a lot lately. And it seems like we've been asking the question, is everybody losing their mind? So what is the FAA doing about it? Well, finally, finally, I saw a story that actually left me in a very happy place. Record-breaking fines are being implemented by the FAA to passengers that have created disturbances on board U.S.-operated aircraft. This is a story I found from one mile at a time. It indicates that a new record has been placed. The FAA fines an abusive passenger $52,500. What? I don't know if you heard me right. Let me say that again. $52,500. Wow. So what does that mean? Okay. If the legal limit that the FAA has set was 35000 how can they find one person double that? Well, according to this article, from one mile at a time in an article written by <laughs> Ben Schlapping. Oh, okay. I thought he got fined for slapping people. Okay, go ahead. 
<laughs> Published May 17th, I'll put a link in the show notes. In January of 2021, the Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA, introduced a new zero-tolerance policy for passengers misbehaving on airplanes. I'm pretty sure we mentioned this in a previous episode. With this, bad behavior while traveling could lead to jail time and or fines up to $35,000. The FAA has periodically provided updates of its enforcement of this policy, and a new record has just been set in terms of the most expensive perf- most expensive proposed fine yet. A passenger who assaulted crew faces $52,500 fine. The FAA is proposing the fine against a passenger on a December 23rd, 2020 flight that Delta operated from Honolulu to Seattle. And here is what the passenger is accused of. The FAA alleges that the passenger tried to open the cockpit door, repeatedly refusing to comply with crew member instructions, and physically assaulted a flight attendant by striking him in the face and pushing him to the floor. The passenger then threatened the flight attendant by charging at him as he was trying to restrain the passenger. Flight attendants with the help of other able-bodied passengers, placed plastic handcuffs on the disruptive passenger. Later, the passenger freed himself from one of the handcuffs and struck the flight attendant in the face a second time. Police boarded the aircraft after it landed and took the passenger into custody. Now, while the FAA has initially limited fines up to $35,000, this passenger is facing a fine that is 50% greater than the maximum. Why? Because he assaulted the flight attendant twice. Twice. So he got Damn. twice the fine. So Amazing. even so, the, uh, the, the uh, writer of the article here, Ben, uh, wrote, I have no sympathy for this person. This kind of behavior deserves jail time rather than a fine, in his opinion. You know, and I've got to agree. I mean, these passengers, you find them... You know, maybe for some people, $50,000 is a lot. I know it's a lot for me. Uh, it's, it's a hell of a lot. But maybe for some people, it's not. So, you know, jail time? Yeah, I, I, I'm all for that. You know, the, and it, the article goes on um, indicating other passengers that face, you know, $9,000 and $27,000 fines, different incidences that we've talked about. There's an incident aboard an Allegiant flight that happened in February 2021. There's another $18,500 fine that happened on a JetBlue flight uh, from Fort Lauderdale to Vegas. The FAA is proposing a $27,000 fine to a passenger from from a Southwest flight that happened on January 1st. On that one, the FAA alleges that after taking his seat, a passenger began yelling and forcefully banging his hands on the seat in front of him, disrupting nearby passengers. During the flight, he yelled that he was going to kill someone and that he had a bomb. And it was going to blow up on the aircraft. And because of his behavior, flight attendants relocated several nearby passengers. The captain diverted the flight to Oklahoma City, and police took the passenger into custody after the plane landed. Bottom line, the FAA has set new fines, and they have a zero-tolerance policy. And my only question is, why did it take so long? Yeah. Yeah. I have the same question. You know, and that's the thing, that, and I said it before. I don't know if, I don't know if you can hear me. My uh, internet is still acting up. <laughs> My internet's acting up. I'm pausing. We can hear show you, title. Right? We can hear you, though. See you guys. Or can hear you hear you guys. Me now? You're frozen now, but we can hear you. Rob, Rob is having a technical difficulties. He's gone. He's out. 
He quit. Are you back? Hey, I'm what? sorry. I went to sleep for a few minutes, um, but That's I'm co- back. That's COVID. Are you a pilot? <laughs> Microsleep? Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. I can't figure out what is going on. I, we've had some storms here and um, power flickering off uh, the past couple of days. So I think it might be uh, affecting some of the connectivity we got here. But anyway, as I was saying, um, the FAA is not a law enforcing agency. Well, they're a, you know what I mean. They're a, they're a they don't have anybody that can come in and arrest you, right? They're or a regulator. Do anything. Yeah. They're a regulator. So enforcing it is up to law enforcement, and you can only enforce the law if you're going to charge somebody with. Uh, you know, with violating the law. So to in order to do that, you have to have evidence of them actually breaking the law. Yeah. So on an airplane, I mean, obviously now we have all those, all the, like we, like you say all the time, Tony, movie studios in form of iPhones and, 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 and recorders and stuff like that. You know, there are those devices that can actually capture this stuff and document, um, you know, that stuff from happening. But, um, you know, it, it's crazy to me that none of this stuff has happened even before COVID, you know, with, with violations. But here we are, you know, obviously everybody's in a heightened state of, um, you know, anxiety and, and, you know, the masks are not helping anybody. Um, I don't even think it's helping us health-wise anymore, but it's definitely contributing to the anxiety um, the amount of stress somebody feels uh, from a normal uh, human um, health standpoint uh, when you're traveling. So I just had a good friend of mine who's a flight attendant for uh, Southwest. Um, he was not working, thankfully. He was actually deadheading. So I, uh, technically he's working, but he's deadheading for the company. And he had a health emergency on board the airplane as a deadheader. He uh, he he got he, his uh, he overheated. His body stressed out because of the heat. And they actually had to declare an emergency and have, you know, paramedics meet him and everything in the city that he was going to. So it's, uh, it's crazy, man. But getting back to your fines, you know, it's, it's nuts. I don't blame people for the most part that are just have had enough. The, the mass, we're just not wired to have something covering our face. I mean, I used to teach other flight instructors, and I don't know, Roger, if I ever spoke to you about this or not, um, but when I was at the flight school as, as the assistant chief, but we used to have our, our weekly sits with the flight instructors in the morning, and I used to ask people, you know, what do you do if your student locks up on you in the middle of a stall demonstration, and they're, they're demonstrating how to recover from a stall, and they lock up on you on the controls? How do you, do you strike them? Do you what do you do? And I used to always say, just cover their eyes, take your hand, put them over their eyes. Anyone, their initial reaction without thinking is they're going to take their hands off the controls and go to remove your hand from their face because it's a very uncomfortable thing for people to have anything constricting their face. And it was a non-physical way to get someone to let off the controls. Um, You know, striking somebody should always have been the last resort. This is what we taught as flight instructors. 
And now here we are in a society where they're being told mixed messages at this point, but they're being told you got to wear the mask on an airplane. You got to wear the mask in an airport. And that's just it. And so they're, they've, they've got all this stuff that it's making it hard for them to breathe. They're hot because your hot breath is in your face. It's fogging up your glasses. Now you're in a, in a pressurized hollow tube sitting next to a bunch of strangers and you could, you know, feel them breathing on you, even though it's no different than before. But now you got this restraint on your face and it makes it very difficult um, for, for them to, to, to kind of deal with the added stress and pressure. And I think that's why we have all these instances that combined with all the psychology of what's been going on in the world for the past 24 months. It's tough. It is tough, but we're all in the same boat. Keep, keep your hands to yourself. I, I mean, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for this. Yeah, that's I mean, I have nothing else to say on that. There's no excuse for for knocking somebody's teeth out. No, absolutely not. I mean, there's, there's no I, excuse. I sympathize, no but you should those actions. And obviously, every that that's not to, to diminish anything that you just said, but the vast majority of people can handle it. And there's never an excuse for hitting and attacking anybody, flight yeah. attendants or anybody else, because your face is hot. Yeah. Well, you know, not being able to handle it just means you should just stay home. It's, it's that, simple yeah, as that. That's just stay home. Right. Take a because train. If, you, if, if that's an issue that you are prone to having, you need to know thyself and stay home. Yeah. Because it's never going to be worth. I mean, these are criminal acts and you should be charged. I mean, the fine, you know, that's sometimes what we do. But I think Rob had brought it up before. I mean, these are criminal acts and it, if you can't keep your hands to yourself and if you're, if you're going to physically assault somebody once, twice, or three times, it doesn't really matter. It's something that you need to be held accountable for. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and I'm really happy that the FAA is finally, you know, showing some kind of action being taken because how many years have we as flight crews, you know, uh, pilots, flight attendants, mechanics, rampers, gate agents alike have said, in frustration, how come nothing ever happens to these people? They come to the airport, they physically assault people, they make us feel like crap, you know, and, and it makes our job so hard. It ruins our entire day. Just, you know, one little thing that happens and nothing ever happens to them. What the heck? Because you'd be in jail. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's awesome. Perfect timing. Welcome back, Rob. I see you're having Man. some more internet issues. Oh, it's frustrating. Yeah. I, I usually have a really good network, but today it's, uh, it's really, really driving me crazy. I'm surprised my wife hasn't complained. It may be my computer. I probably need to reset it and everything, but... Yeah, control, delete. Yeah. Wait, I hear... I was hearing buzzing. I was going to make sure it was not me. Oh, you know, it's probably the garage door. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm right on the above the garage. It did actually sound like a garage door. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Those are great. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Uh, 
And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second half of Flight 82 of the Squawk Ident podcast. You know, I want to just take a moment right quick and just say thank you to Rob and Roger for joining me today. Uh, we have really struggled in the past few weeks to get this episode recorded. And the schedules have been crazy. There have been reassignments and total like diversions from the, the usual. I mean, I've been busy. I've actually did a drive up to Northern California and we're gonna talk about what we've all been up to right here in the second half. Now, I'm very excited that I was able to communicate back and forth with my boys. And I'm so proud between Roger's new type rating and Rob's transition uh, to the Airbus from the 7.3. It was so exciting. And I really enjoyed seeing your social media posts about your last flight on the 7.3, at least for now, possibly as an FO. I'm thinking maybe you might be on it again here not too distant future as a as a four striper um, and i look forward to to seeing that transition as well but you know let's start out with roger now roger has been as we've mentioned uh, in some previous episodes uh, that he was getting ready to get a, a pic type rating in an aircraft he already has an sic type rating in and he's already flown similar type aircraft as a matter of fact it's practically identical with the exception of the avionics. So he needed to get an additional PSE type rating simply because he was going to get checked out in the EZ version of the Falcon 900. Roger, tell us about that whole experience. Well, it was uh, quite, quite the whirlwind experience that we finally wrapped up just a couple days ago, I'm, I'm happy to say. Um, you know, the type rating, I have quite a few types, several types in the, in the Falcon family. And so it, it made it much easier in the way that, you know, you kind of alluded to, there's kind of, there's several different avionics system setups within, within that family. I was already typed in the Falcon 50 and 900, except this was a 900 easy which requires a separate type rating however the advantage for me was i already had the falcon 7x type rating which was also an an easy aircraft so i actually had the 900 type and i had an easy type but then the faa doesn't really care you need to put it together and do a 900 easy type and so in the end fortunately it was not it was not overly difficult um on on that front however like you know like you guys can attest to it's still a check ride and you're still going through the entire oral and you're still going through the entire check ride. And I had the, the added luxury of having the FAA observing the check ride at the same time. So that added an element of difficulty as well as any airman can, can attest to. And, uh, <laughs> but fortunately I, I, I can, on the bright side, I passed. So now I can actually say I passed a check ride that the FAA was, was watching. <laughs> Congratulations, Thank man. Thank you very, very much. Very good job. Very good job. It's awesome. So in the end, I'm really nothing changes for me. I still do the exact same job that I was doing before. It's just now I have a full PIC type that in case something were to happen, I can step in and just um, 
and and sit left seat if I have to. But yeah. Um, but realistically, it doesn't really change anything for me from from my job. Now we were talking uh, last time we spoke. I had just completed my recurrent, my R twelve, my annual uh, recurrent training at the uh, at the Death Star, as we like to call it here. And you had mentioned that you were proud of me because I didn't overwhelm myself by studying for months this time, on end. Yes. This time, first time, I just kind of was like, you know what, I, I got this. And I always laughed inwardly at you and it's like, oh, well, I got training in six months, so I got to start preparing myself now. Yep. I got to memorize every page of that 3,270 page document so that if they ask me a question, I can go. (laughs) (laughs) And so how did you prep? Did you, I mean, since you had the easy in a different aircraft, so you knew the avionics and you have the type rating in the aircraft that, you know, without those avionics. So really for you, was there any studying involved at all other than a refresher? Uh, No, most of it was, most of it was refresher. However, it was, it was going back and I mean, I hate to say it this way on a public program, but I mean, you're studying for the check ride and it's a lot of it's rote rote memorization. Well, here are your limitations. You need to know all the limitations. Well, let's make sure that we know all the limitations. What are the G limits of the airplane? You know, because, because we all care about that on a daily basis, right? Um, What is the minimum, the minimum controllable airspeed in the air? I don't know. All the numbers um, the FAA wants you to be able to right. know. And so, so there was that. It. And there was also the um, the memory items. And so there was a little bit of that. I had been on a trip the week before. And so I spent a little bit of time going over the a brief synopsis of the systems, again, as part of the oral. But then there's, you know, you look at the things that they really want you to know and you prepare that way. And then a lot of it is the limitation the limitations and the memory items. And that's what I spent a majority of my time on. And fortunately, like, like we just said, everything else I, I kind of always already was familiar with the avionics are not a big deal. I've used them many times before. Um, and that really is the big part of the type rating, the initial, the initial type rating. So, yeah. Yeah. So hey, good job, you know, and was it mm-hmm. nervous having the FAA sit in the jump seat in the simulator? Oh, without a doubt. Oh, com- completely. And how did you handle um, that? What would you find the best way to deal with it? Slow down. And, and I, it's, it would be the exact same, the exact same answer that I would give whether the FA is there or not. I did not change a single thing because he was watching. Um, but when you're in that check ride environment, s- slow down. Like don't, don't do anything fast. Just think your way through it. There are very, very few things that happen on an airplane. Really a fire is about the only thing um, that I think you could argue requires, you know, did you really move relatively quickly, everything out, even if you lose an engine, it falls off the airplane, that air, the airplane, as long as you fly the airplane, it's still going to fly and then go through your stuff and make it methodical. Don't guess, don't, well, I think you're supposed to do this. Just get the checklist, especially in this airplane, it's all electronic. Mm -hmm. Um, and have your, you know, look, I got the airplane. You, I'll take the radios. You go ahead and just run the checklist and verify with me before you do anything. And go through it slowly and methodically because, yeah, you know, you yeah. only get yourself in trouble. I think I would argue that you, you're going to get yourself into the most trouble when you are rushing through stuff. 
um, on any check in any check ride environment. It's stressful. There's no way around that. So slow it down. Take your time. If you need to get vectors back around, say, look, I need more time. I need a box pattern. Give me vectors back around and we'll call you back. And um, and like I say, whether the, if the feds are there or watching or not, the same advice. Yep. Yeah. Well said. It's good advice, man. Speaking from experience. It's awesome. It's, yeah. I, I've done a few of these now. I yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So now you've got your paper certificate. I do. Because what they do is they, well, they punch a hole in your old they airman. Air, well, we can't call it airman certificate anymore. Damn. Yes, we can. We can. We can. <clears throat> what do you call it now? haven't changed it yet. Pilot certificate? I don't. Gosh. Actually, what it. does it? Does it say airman certificate? Do you think they're actually... They're going to change that. We're going to talk about that later in the show. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I will not participate in that segment. (laughs) (laughs) So your pilot certificate, they punch a hole through it because you've now added a new type. So under the the comment section where they have all the type ratings or whatever it is, um, they're going to issue you a new one. So they gave you a temporary or paper certificate that they printed out right in the FBO or at the Sim Center. And they give it, and how long is this good for? Is it 90 days or 120 days? 120 days. 120 days. So since, you know, I thought this was a great opportunity to talk about this. Since you just went through this, 120 days. Now, usually the FAA takes about 30, maybe 45 days. And in the mail, you'll receive an envelope with your certificate in it, with your new type rating. If you go about 90 days... I'd even say 75 days and you still haven't received it, go to the FAA website at FAA.gov and follow the prompts and just take a look and see, maybe you can send a a quick note. Hey, or, you know, I'd wait till like 90 days before I send them anything. Um, But you definitely don't want to wait until 110 days and then go, Hey, I haven't got my, my thing in the mail yet, because now, guess what? You'll have an expired certificate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then if you get a free ramp check today, free ramp check, and all of a sudden they're like, well, you're <laughs> flying with an expired certificate. How many flights mm-hmm. have you flown with an expired certificate? Let's multiply that by the fine. Yes, I have heard of that happening. Now, the FAA website's great. Uh, I've had people lose their certificate or leave it at home. So they're like, oh, God, what am I going to do now? Well, do you have a computer and a printer? If you're at a hotel, I know they have a business center. Let's go downstairs. Let's print out a paper copy. Call in, a, in the airline case, you call the chief pilot, tell them what's going on. They, they've got it on, on file somewhere. Um, and there are ways to get around it with a paper copy temporarily. You can also uh, get a temporary certificate, official temporary certificate from the FAA that they will email to you. And that way, if you get ramp checked or you need, you need a certificate, you have proof from the FAA that, yes, this person has lost their certificate and here's their temporary, kind of like the paper one that you just got. So d- great ways around it. Don't panic if you haven't received it in the mail. You know, you, you know don't panic. Just send an email. Figure it out. Um, they can always reissue you one. Maybe it got lost in the mail. But don't wait until the last second. You know, 90 There's- days. There's also on that FAA website, there's, you know, that they tell you when they've been processing what they've been, what right. they've received. And so if you're, you know, you're more than a couple of weeks past that date, it's probably, you know, even if it's only been, you know, six weeks, um, yeah, it's time to call your, 
whoever gave you your check ride or your local FISDO to try and start mm-hmm. tracking it down. Yeah, always get the examiner's contact information because uh, I know they have yours, but sometimes people, you know, they usually give you a business card um, and you put that in your, in, your, in your wallet until you get your license or whatever. Or keep, always keep it. I, I always keep my contact information. You never know. You might have a question. You go, hey, can I ask you a question about something? Um, great to have. And I mean, that's what this industry is all about, right? Keeping contacts. But really happy to hear that you had a positive experience, even with the added pressure of having an examiner on Thank board you. your, your SIM. Um, we've all, I think Rob's had that a couple times too, right? Yeah. Yeah. FA in the jump seat of a SIM ride or yep. something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, and obviously you and I know when you're, when you were training for a line check airman job, um, at some point you actually have to take a, do a line check with the FAA, the actual FAA on there. Yep. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I get more uh, stressed out or ang- more anxiety just from the overall training process because I, I, I want to do well. Um, yeah. But, you know, when, when you get when it comes time for check ride time, I mean, I'm, I'm still amped up and still, uh, you know, anxiety ridden. But, you know, whether it's an FAA person there or not, it, it doesn't affect me as much. I, I don't get overly excited about because they're just people, too. They're, they're airmen. Um, and a lot of them don't even know, <laughs> don't even have a clue <laughs> what's going on in the check ride that you're actually taking unless they're actually checked out on that particular airplane. So, um, but, you know, there are some that, that do, but, you know, they understand as long as you, you know, you're, you're going to, if you, you know, answer the question correctly or, you know, if you don't know the answer and you know where to get it, a lot of times it's, you know, it's not a threatening thing. The limitations are the exception, but, um, yeah, I, I've done a few rides, and, and when I was training myself, I would take rides with FAA because they were and because I'm cheap and they were free. <laughs> oh, there you so, go. So in Phoenix, when I was getting like my instrument commercial ride, you know, I I our uh, my instructor would would uh, ask the FAA guy from the nearest physio to come out and give us give me my check ride yeah. and. It keeps them free. current too, right? The FAA has to I do did. so many check rides I'm a year sure. to keep current for their instructional yeah. purposes too. Yeah, I actually, I had a wonderful time at Sandpiper towards the end of yeah. my career there um, where our POI came up to me and said, hey, uh, you know, the FAA, we have so many people upgrading to captain. And when you upgrade to captain at a 121 carrier, you need a fed ride, which is usually done... Uh, at the same time, you're getting your line check from your check airman as a captain. So you've done your IOE. Obviously, you're typed in the airplane. You went through all your ground school and your simulator typewriting. And so you've done all that. But now you're on the line during initial operating experience or IOE. It was the first, uh, I think it was like 15 to 20 hours you had to do with a check airman minimum. Um, so you did a couple trips. And then at the, at the tail end of it, if the check airman thought you were ready, they would schedule a line check. And the line check, the FAA wanted to be in the jump seat to observe. Notice I didn't say to check. I said to observe. Observe. And so what happened was at the time that I was, uh, you know, in the heat of, you know, being a check airman there, you were a check airman there too around the same time. You were, weren't quite at Legacy yet. And, um, and I had our POI come up to me and go, hey, we got so many people upgrading to captain. The FAA just doesn't have enough staffing or or budget to sit in on all these line or fed rides would you like to be an fac and i was like what what's that 
He goes, well, it's a FAA authorized check airman. And basically you're going to observe uh, a check airman, give a line check for the company. And you are basically going to do my job, which is observe. And then you're going to fill out this form and email it to me and it's pass or fail and, uh, or not pass or fail, but complete or incomplete. And, um, and basically sit in for us. And I was like, Hey, that's pretty cool. And he's like, yeah, it's a great thing to have on your resume. I was like, well, you don't have to sell me on that. I, I like the opportunity you considered me. So absolutely. So that's what I did for my last about year there. Um, I sat on a lot of captain upgrades and only had one event that it was considered incomplete uh, on my side of it. And uh, the check airman ended up uh, saying, no, you need more time. Um, and, you know, just because... I'm looking for, did this individual, does he have a head on his shoulder or her shoulders? And did they bust any regulations? And unfortunately, they busted some regulations and uh, they, they, they just didn't make it through that time. When they went back and I don't know what happened to them if they did some more training and came back on the line to try again um, or they just went back to the right seat. Usually they would elect to go back to the right seat for six months and then try again, um, which is common at that yeah. point of the game. Um, so yeah, uh, having the FA on board there, like you guys said, they're, they're just sit there to make sure that they're checking the boxes that they're supposed to check. And why does the Fed ride have to happen on a captain upgrade? Well, always comes back to one of those written in blood scenarios on all you got to do is look at the Colgan crash. Yep. And that's why the Fed decided every single Captain Upgrade will receive a Fed ride. Well, Rob, you had some exciting news recently. I saw a couple photos from your final flight on a 737. Yes. And what kind of 737 was it? That was uh, just a 737-800, just we, we called the NG. Uh, the final flight was Colorado Springs back to Dallas, and it was flown with a great crew. Um, the captain and I really bonded over that trip and um, got to do some fun things like go see a baseball game, minor league baseball game. And um, <laughs> actually, the trip was kind of crazy. It was a triple Reno overnight um, that I, I don't even know where to begin on that. But uh, we spent three fabulous nights in Reno. And uh, so we decided to uh, take in a, a minor league baseball game while we were there. But the uh, final trip uh, in the 737 was on a 737-800NG aircraft from uh, Colorado Springs to Dallas, which I flew. And um, it was great. It was kind of, a, you know, one of those moments where, you know, when it happened, when, when some of these experiences happened in the past, like, uh, for instance, when I, I had the final flight in the uh, 145 at Sandpiper and transitioned over to the 175, you know, I kind of looked back and, you know, had a lot of great experience on the 145. And I was like, man, it was it was nice to fly this thing, but I kind of hope I never get to fly it again, you know, because I want to move onward and upward. But, you know, that was my first and you always remember your first. And I still remember a lot of yeah, a lot about the the airplane, uh, the 145, and I really loved it. And then the same thing with the 175. You know, when I left the 175 and and uh, transitioned over to Legacy, um, you know, it was probably the last time I'll ever fly that airplane. 
And I really, really grown to like that airplane and love it. Um, not only because I was on the left seat, but you know, cause of being the Czech airman and everything, it was a, a lot of fun and the people, which, which made it fun, but the airplane was such a, an advancement in lifestyle and, and quality of life and, and, and your working environment that it was just a great airplane to, to fly and a great airplane to love. So leaving it was, uh, you know, kind of sentimental in a fact that, you know, you might not be able to fly that airplane again. So here we are flying the 737, you know, and this is, this is history. You know, this airplane is the workhorse of the aviation industry of the airline industry. And, um, you know, I think the Airbus is obviously slowly, or if not already have, you know, equal or take it surpassed, uh, you know, that, that title. Um, but, uh, you know, this is an airplane that was, you know, very famous in, in the uh, history of, uh, leg of, of airlines. And so to, you know, get behind the uh, flight controls of a Boeing 737 airplane was, was quite awesome to me. And, um, the plane is a performer. Uh, it, it has, it, that the plane will climb, I mean, you'll be at, 34, 35,000 feet and you climb up to 39, 41,000 feet and you'll still do 2,000 feet per minute. Um, in some points, 3,000 feet per minute, uh, depending on, you know, how, you know, how heavy you are, but man, I mean, it's just spectacular. Um, the, the, uh, you know, a little bit antiquated <laughs> with the, the, the EFA system and, and the, you know, flight deck arrangement, it's not really comfortable, uh, compared to other airplanes, and that's kind of why I made the transition over to the uh, the Airbus. And so here I am getting ready to. Uh, I'm going through training right now on the Airbus, and it is a light years ahead of the 737 in in you know terms of ergonomics, comfort, um, the EFIS system, the flight deck. You know the automation is just it's awesome. It really is. I'm really really enjoying it and it's when when you make when you fly the 737 or when you transition from a airplane similar to the airbus or the 175 which on from an electrical standpoint and the way things work are very similar in in a lot of ways different but very similar and you go back in time and fly a 737 uh you quickly quickly understand why things have been automated <laughs> on the flight deck um it because the 737 is a very manual airplane i mean everything is a switch knob yeah you, know, you really have to manipulate the airplane and that's fun and it's fun from a pilot's perspective but workload and comfort wise you know at the end of long days which you know we we all have very long days uh in this environment uh you need more comfort and and a lot less you know, physical activity and more just managing. And so that's definitely what this airplane is <laughs> quickly to, you know, providing me. So yeah. anyway, yeah, it's been an awesome transition going through, going through class right now. I've only been in, uh, going, finished uh, with day four of ground school and, um, you know, trying to sip water from a fire hose, so to speak of, in, of, of information and, and knowledge. Uh, so it's a lot to handle, but I think I'm slowly grasping it. It's, quickly coming to me i think right now i you know I'm, I'm i'm having a little trouble with the flows but i can get through it um and uh we've had a couple takeoff and landings in the simulator of course non-motion but um man <laughs> what a what a tremendous leap of technology and comfort from yeah. the 737 that i'm quickly learning to enjoy 
And, you know, when you're a new hire, you go through, I think, a little more rigorous process because you'd have to go through indoctrination or indoc, sure. uh, yeah. where you learn about the company and all the regulations uh, from their uh, operations manual, how the company operates, what's expected of you, how to sign in, how to do reports. Then you have uh, a union contracts to, to peruse over to find out yeah. what you're responsible for, you know, how to sign in for a trip, you know, how many hours leeway are you going to get on reserve mm -hmm. versus, you know, this and that reassignments. A lot more to learn. And, and on top of that, you're trying to learn an aircraft potentially that you've never flown before. Yep. Now that you've been with the company for what, four and a half years now, kind of four years, yeah. somewhere around there. So you're, you, you, you know, all that stuff, you're not being retrained on that. Uh, so right. you're going straight into a transition to a new aircraft. So mm -hmm. you can really concentrate more on just learning the aircraft and the yeah. systems that's involved and the new yeah. flows. And the hardest part, at least in my experience, whenever I've done that is what gets in the way. And for me, it's the law of primacy. So sure. checklists might be different. So when you're tired, especially you're going to call for a different checklist that, wait a minute, what? That was the old aircraft. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, even for me, it's like go arounds. For me, it's go arounds. Uh, you know, pause or eight gear up, select <laughs> go around, you know, nine, pause eight gear up. Yeah, <laughs> select heading, select depth. Yeah, <laughs> and so you're like, well, okay. Out to and you. then you get into a new airplane, and it's like <laughs> positive rate uh, toga or you whatever go around toga, and then so yeah. toga toga set <laughs> climb climb set climb positive rate gear up gear up. All right. Uh, go whatever. around flaps <laughs> go around flaps go up one notch you know and then yep. then you get to the 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 speed uh -huh. all right flaps one or flaps up or yeah. whatever and yeah. Yeah. so it's a yeah. different litany of flows and call outs and that's yeah. what you're alluding to is that yep. when you transition from one aircraft that you've been flying for years in your case four and now you're like okay forget all that forget yeah. all that <laughs> now, now let's let's learn the new aircraft and the new yeah. callouts and the new flows and the new triggers and the new procedures and and you're like okay yeah, sure no problem and you're you're drinking from the fire hose and you're tired and you're in and we're going to talk a little bit about like the simulator versus the the trainer yeah uh, because we don't use paper trainers anymore or the posters no that are illuminated from behind we actually use the was it 3m uh systems or what yeah i think that's what it is uh, yeah it's all a like of it the other day. It's like what five touch screens, screens. all together yeah. that comprise the entire cockpit, and it's interactive. As you push the screen, the button will change and everything. And you have yeah, it's awesome. It says on here CAE four hundred XR series, but I think that's probably the company. But I, I do see the screens are three M touch screens. Yeah, all of them. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight touch screens. Yep. And they're on a server. So the instructor's sitting behind you as they would in the actual simulator. And they're yep. controlling the scenarios and they'll put you ready for takeoff. And you're looking and you're taking off. I mean, it's no, there's no motion. It's on the ground. You're in an office chair. But yeah. it's an amazing piece of kit. It's a great tool. Yeah. yeah. Great tool. So you go from there. And then you said you transitioned into the simulator not in motion. Correct. To go through the flows and actually physically touch buttons and switches yeah, tactile. and stuff. Yeah. Tactile memory items. And yeah. so, the, you know, and you've only, you're only four days into it. And how yeah. many days total are you going to be 
So there's uh, nine days of uh, ground school. Tenth day, I believe, is the uh, the you know Prague check where they mm-hmm. you know sit in with a Czech airman and then you know they give you the blessing to go onto the sim. So uh, make sure you got your flows down and and your your call outs and procedures um, down packed. That way, when you get into the sim, which is day eleven through. I have to look it up. I think 11 through 19 or something like that. Um, it's pretty quick. You only get like eight sim sessions or something like that. Training sim sessions. You're in the simulator and you're going through all the, everything that you learned. And then um, I guess then the day after that is uh, maneuvers validation. And then you do your LOE, line oriented experience flight training in the sim. We actually replicate an actual flight and then that's when I then think you, you do your rad and yeah you do your rad yep advanced yep. Uh, maneuvers uh-huh advanced maneuvers and then as long as you get to do all that to company standards then you get your uh get your rating yeah so and the nice thing is zero classroom environment yeah it's, it's one-on-one awesome. on one. And you're paired up with a captain or an fo no fo another fo so fo so, fo so you swap fo fo yeah, so that's kind of been a challenge for me because, um, you know, we have to swap seats and I'm only getting really what I would normally think would be 100% of the time, you know, hands on with the trainer and just doing my flows. Um, I'm only getting 50% of the time <laughs> hands on with the flows, but the other 50% I'm actually getting to watch. And we all talked about this that, you know, when you get to sit, and watch you kind of have the bird's eye view of everything that's going on and you can see all the mistakes that um not only the mistakes but the thing that things that you're doing right or things that you need to add to your um to your to your flow or whatever um from from observing so i'm 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 learning that this isn't such a bad deal uh you know being fo and fo training um but you know in the past i have trained with another captain usually they're experienced in that airplane already and man that that that's kind of been the way i've trained so anytime i have an, a question or i miss something you know they always chime in with the hey do it this way this is how i used to do it and you know it's like oh okay that sounds good yeah. so yeah it, it's 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 going okay i mean i i feel like i'm behind but the instructor's like dude you're light here light years ahead of where everybody is normally at this stage yeah so and we used to have the remember the charts that we used to have for grading you know Mm -hmm. five meaning hey you make no mistakes you're in the green all the time and you never ever wander outside of the green target uh you're 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 spot on on all of your flows techniques and procedures and then you know if 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 you're a four you're kind of like, okay, you're in the green all, most of the time, but you kind of wander into the yellow, but you correctly come back into the green and you figure things out quickly. And then three is like, well, you spend a lot of time in the yellow. Uh, every now and then you'll touch the green, but then you always come back into the yellow and it's, you don't really want to be in that. You want to be above the three. Right. And then two, you're spending all your time in the yellow. You're you're in the red. touching red every now and then. <laughs> And then, you know, one is like, you're not even, you're in red and you're maybe not even be in the red. You might be on the poster or on the wall somewhere. Hanging so, on the rudder. <laughs> hanging on to the static wicks, you know, for the whole flight. But uh, he, the instructor's like, well, he's like, he always asks, where do you guys think you are? And I'm like, ah, I feel like I'm in the three, I'm in the yellow most of the time. And he's like, he's like, no, no. If, you know, judging by all the guys I've had here, you're, you're bouncing between four and five most of the time. I'm like, 
really? He's like, oh, yeah, I'll, you know, if you get stumped somewhere, I just kind of nudge you in the right direction and then you you take off running. Yeah. And same with the other guy. So I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I mean, yeah. if that's what he says, I feel good about it. But I hate feeling uh, <laughs> I hate being in that feeling where you're just kind of lost the whole time. But yeah. I don't feel lost. I just overwhelmed, maybe. Oh, yeah, there's a lot going on. And just kind of like you mentioned to me in a phone call the other day, it's doing it the way training wants you and versus doing the way the the flight line does it are two totally normally totally different things as long as it everything gets done right. uh you know by checklist time and and push time and get right. in the air then obviously it's all good and, and that's that, quite quickly what I'm learning that needs a little bit of clarification now the, an instructor yeah. or a check airman never wants to hear you say well there's a way they do it in the schoolhouse exactly. and there's the way you do it on the line it's two different things no it's not two different no, it's things not. But what I meant by that and, and what you're alluding to is a lot of things that you do in the checklist, you do a certain way. And you're like, well, wait a minute. You have me checking the altimeter to make sure it's displaying properly. Well, why can't I just set it to what the altimeter – so I don't have to come back and touch it 300 times. I can just right. set it and forget it, right? Yeah. And, I, and that's – and I was mentioning to you, well, yeah. yeah, on the line, obviously, when you do your cockpit uh, pre-departure cockpit flow, whatever they're calling it yeah. now, um, yeah. you know, as you're coming through doing your scan, yeah, that's exactly when you're going to set you're that. Gonna do it. And yeah. even if it's going to change in 10 minutes with a new ATIS coming out, you set it. So at least it's ballpark and then you're, you're going through everything and, but there's a rhyme and reason. Okay. Yeah. So now on the Airbus, why do you not set the altimeter during your pre cockpit cockpit flow? And why do they want you to do it during a different flow, which is right. the before start check. Before because start. if you set your side and do not set the captain's side, a timer starts. And after so many seconds, you're yep. in the middle of your flow, you're going to hear a ding, ding. and it's going to say, <laughs> uh, Alt Barrow disagree yep. on the ECAM. So, but you know this, you're mm -hmm. intuitive, and you're doing your pre- uh, flow and you set your side and immediately if you touch your side you're gonna set the captain's side even if they're not there right. so you don't get that thing so yeah. but airbus like you had mentioned it's an aircraft designed for third world third pilots world pilots in other yeah. words pilots that may have not have as much experience and, and you see this all the time you read you read accident investigations or you read articles about foreign airlines and it's like the first officer had 350 total time and you're like wait didn't what? i hear somewhere like pakistan airlines or something like that the first officers weren't even qualified pilots or something like that yeah that was another, anything like that, that was, yeah that was another story well we i think we oh. talked about that that and it was like mostly paperwork issues um yeah that there was just paperwork oh. wasn't filed not that they weren't qualified but um yeah a lot of times foreign carriers you'll have pilots in the in the right seat that have less than 500 hours and they're flying an airbus and you you that's what the the airbus is so simple a child can do it right we've all seen that meme with the little girl sitting <laughs> yeah. at the controls like so simple which is you know not here neither here nor there but um so yeah there's there's the way you do it in the simulator to kind of expedite the training and then out on the line you might have a technique that might work better for you and in the right. end of the day as long as everything got done appropriately 
by the checklist time or by the time you're manipulating controls, then you're fine. As long as you're not adding stuff that's completely off left in left field. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very good. So here I am. I'll couple couple days off to uh, kind of reset, and I need to get some of those system tests uh, study uh, system studies system test studying done sorry yeah yeah that's great <laughs> but, uh, and then change it change the window to 100 questions yeah. and then do one system at a time yeah don't do the whole bank that right. way and there's some some banks only have like when you do landing gear i think it only has like 18 questions or something and then right. then you have like um you know communications and that talks about the radios and navigation and stuff yeah. like that and that has like 40 questions so Four. whatever it is yeah, yeah just do yeah. one bank at a time until you can get what, all you need to pass is what eighty percent. So as yeah, soon as you get eighty one percent, move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I already did it. I did it. I did a hundred question, a hundred question test, and yeah, like a ninety eight or whatever. So a couple of questions where I just a couple of questions I just didn't read the whole answer. Probably. RTFQ. Yeah, we talked about that last time. RTFQ. Read the whole, <laughs> yeah, freaking, whole question. freaking question. Yep. Now, Roger, your your training over the last probably ten years has been. The same one-on-one simulator, uh, third-party training. So you have mostly online training whenever, like this past type ride that you did. And then you went in there and did you only focus on simulator training or did you also have a ground school portion of this instruction? No, there's ground school. There's there's always ground school Mm. as well. And there's tests. Um, on the systems that you need to pass in order to move on. Just And just like this one, there was a test as well that you had to get 80% and then correct to 100% for moving on. Uh, it's not one-on-one per se. Uh, this last class, there was four in the class, and then I had the first sim sessions were with another guy. Um, so we were paired up together. And then the last two, I was by myself just because there was slight differences in the training program. But um, but you're usually paired up with another person. And actually, for these third-party things, there's actually a discount if you bring two people. Um, I mean, it's pretty small, but a small discount for bringing two people because that way they can they can make the class a little bit more efficient. Yeah. Oh, that's that's. That's good. I'm glad you both uh, have been going through this. And Roger, again, congratulations on your achievement with your your next type rating. It's exciting to have, to keep you marking them off. That uh, you're going to need yeah. two certificates in order to yeah. keep all That's your awesome. type ratings in there. I think it's kind of cool because I mean, when when uh, when you when I used to look at other airmen certificates of other individuals, it's kind of neat to see all the ratings and and everything that person has. It's kind of like a uh, you know, a passport of so of sorts for, you know, where you've been and, and what you've been doing. And that's awesome to keep adding ratings to your certificates. You probably have, you know, to be continued <laughs> yeah. and they have to send you a second certificate with the, uh, the next one on there or Hopefully. change the font to something even smaller, you know, <laughs> Hopefully I'll add a, a few more here over the next, the next several years or next yeah. decade or so. And yeah, you know, we're, keep flying yeah. bigger airplanes we'll see we'll see yeah, where that cool. goes if the uh, conglomerate decides to add uh, some falcons in there that's yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool man <laughs> did you see the new g6 yeah the yeah. g well the, yeah the g5 and the g well it's the g500 is that what it is the g500 yeah, the g500 is the the, the newest new. the newest thing there yeah 
Tony. I mean, Sway. everybody's always coming out with new stuff. I don't know. I mean, Bombardier came out with the was it Global seventy five hundred? I think their longest range business jet and yeah. Gulfstream came out with the G five hundred and six hundred, and Dassault just came out with the ten X, which is their next one that they're going to be developing for the next well, maybe five years or so. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to say thanks again to both of you. Uh, we have really tried very hard to get episode eighty-two or what we're now calling flight eighty-two off the ground, uh, pun intended, because <laughs> of schedules and you know cancellations and and just really trying scenarios at work. Uh, we have really had to cancel more than half a dozen times. And a lot of that, you know, falls on me because of my schedule. The last show we did was what, the ninth, I think. Um, and that's the one we talked about IROPS and, yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. And we were planning on doing a show not five days later. Uh, but then I got, I went on a trip uh, on the 12th and it was a nice trip. Another Ontario trip, which I'm very happy because I'm, literally 10 minutes drive away from Ontario and I get to park right up front and just walk across the street and go right into the terminal and go KCM and I'm at the gate that we have what two three gates that we use amazing amazing experience after years of commuting and after years of driving an hour plus to get to the airport and then having to take a bus it takes another 20 minutes just to get into the terminal and then all this stuff such a nice way to kind of spend some time still flying, still doing everything, but having almost zero stress about, yeah. about it, this stuff. So on the 12th, I started a trip out of Ontario. Of course, everything that we do for Legacy out of Ontario goes directly to Dallas. Right. Uh, it was a red eye. It had an 11.49 p.m. sign-in. And oh. that's some of the, the downside of Ontario flying is most of it is or at least i'd say at least half of it is a red eye to dfw and dfw is really the only location that we go to directly from ontario so you know red eye landed dfw at 5 30 in the morning we stay at the airport hotel so you gotta figure out what train to catch in order to get to the right terminal and go out the right door to walk yeah. through the parking lot and go through the right steps, get to the right level to find the bridge <laughs> that takes you over the major roadway. <laughs> and so here's how my trip starts out. I get to DFW. I'm, and as we get off the airplane, it's 530 in the morning. We're tired. There's like people are, there's 50 people deep in all the coffee lines, not Starbucks because most of them are not open, but the Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> line and the, and the bagel place line. So you're, you're just like, you're just tired. You know, I just came in for a red eye and I look at the captain and I'm like, Hey man, you got everything. You didn't leave your phone or anything behind. Cause he's like, no, no, I got it all. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So we get on the train, we get off in the sea concourse. We walk, we find the door, we walk across, we had to schlep our bags up and down these you know steps in the parking lot to get to the hotel as we're checking in the captain's filling out our uh, our log and he hands me my room key and my phone rings it's the fo that's taking out the flight the aircraft that i just brought in 
Uh-oh. And he goes, hey, uh, did you leave your tablet in the cockpit? Uh, I went, no, I didn't leave my tablet in the cockpit. What did leave? Let me check. So I look at my kit bag, and sure enough, I left my tablet in the cockpit. Oh, man. And my tablet cover is like dark gray. And if you leave it in the holder and put the cover over it, for whatever reason, I was distracted, and I didn't put it in my kit bag right away, which I have a, I have a flow. Yeah. That I do, so I don't leave anything behind. It's the same flow that I do every single leg. I, yeah. First, I put my head headset away and put that in the sleeve, and I put that in my kit bag, and then I take my tablet and I cover it up, and I put my my checklist in it, and then I put that in the sleeve that's in my kit bag, and then I, you know, clean up all the paper. I have my flow, and yeah. for whatever reason, I got must have gotten distracted. I was tired. I left it. So I'm like, oh, God, the only thing I want to see is the back of my eyelids. I don't want to have to do yeah. So I left my, my bag and everything in the hotel room and just kept my uniform on, made sure I had my badge and my, and my ID, and I just went downstairs and retraced all my steps. took me a good 15 minutes to get back to that gate. They were already boarding. So the gate agent, he had left the tablet with the gate agent, um, so I didn't have to try to text him or anything. And so I sent him a thank you and, and, you know, slept all the way back to <laughs> the hotel. Yeah, and now it's like need. 45 minutes later and I'm finally like, oh, so wow. that's how the trip started. <laughs> and oh, it's man. all downhill from oh, there. Shoot, so, man. okay. 11 hours later, back to the airport, grab a bite to eat and Hey, one leg to Seattle. What can go wrong? Captain well, and I are like, yeah, man, this is going to be good. I haven't done, <laughs> I haven't done a Seattle layover in a long time. We're staying right downtown. It's a great hotel. I'm going to go for a run in the morning. I'll meet you up. We can go to get uh, Starbucks at the fish market or something. You know, get breakfast. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. And so we're we land. We're we're on like the final thirty minutes of the flight, and we get ding, a cars message. And here comes the printer. Paper comes out of the printer. It makes a sound. Roger, in case you didn't know. <laughs> Paper comes out. Yep. And it says, uh, Captain First Officer, you guys are now flying to Chicago. And oh, like, hell wait. no. <laughs> I, I actually, I think that's exactly what the captain is like. I'm not doing that. You know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, God. So we have the technology. So I go on my tablet and I go pull up the app and I go, let's see what they're trying to do because I'm kind of fatigued right now, if you ask me. So, so I'm looking at it and I go, huh, Captain, uh, yes, it uh, does look like they have us on a flight that's been delayed four hours. I'm assuming the previous crew timed out. It is a red eye to Chicago that lands at 530 in the morning. However, we get done a day early. So we'll be back in Ontario a day early. I'm like, did you have plans that you would like to do? Because in terms of rest, we just did one leg. I'm, I'm okay, but I'll leave it up to you. And he goes, well, he goes, yeah, getting done a day early and being paid to be at home. And they can't really use us on reassignment because right. they have to give us the rest. And by the time they use us, what they can they use us for? Like a San Diego turn out of LA? That's just not going to happen. So... I'm like, yeah, do you want to do it? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that, that's, that, we can do it. I'm like, okay, fine. I said, but I tell you this, they didn't feed us on this leg and they're not going to feed us on the next leg. And if they do, it's going to be an, a Gruben. And I don't want another <laughs> I Gruben. Can't do I, if I anymore. see another Gruben the rest of my life, I'm going to throw it at oh, somebody. Oh, man. 
I'll which go is the, hungry the cold sandwich they give Gruben. us. They call it a Gruben. It's, oh, it's it's disgusting, like, man. It's got like kimchi in it. It's disgusting. Yeah, so <laughs> fermented cabbage. So, uh, so I'm like, but I gotta eat. I see Roger rolling his eyes over there, but go ahead. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, you guys got real problems over there at the airlines, you know. <laughs> this is uh, your first world problems, buddy. So we land and we're like, okay, but hey, I said, Captain, here's the here's the good part. We're parking at the South Satellite in Seattle at SeaTac. And the airplane that we're supposed to be flying out 45 minutes later is in the North Satellite at SeaTac. And anyone that's been into SeaTac and had to contend with these satellites, it, it's a terminal where the only access to the main terminal is to take an escalator and a train and, you know, somehow get over to the other side. Then you got to walk what, a couple miles to the north end of that one and then grab another train that goes underground that takes you to the other terminal. Like that's like an hour, 45 minutes to an hour trek. And it's nine o'clock at night and I'm hungry. So I'm going to take a meal break. And I said, what are the odds that the flight attendants are going to time out by the time we get there? <laughs> and he goes, mm. I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, work. We'll accept this. <laughs> Accepting it. Fine. So we get there and I, I'm collect my things and he collected his things and we're getting ready to step off the aircraft and the the legacy airlines airport managers sit standing there he's like gentlemen i'm here to take you to your next flight i was like oh wait what he's like yep i've got a vehicle parked outside otherwise this is gonna take you an hour to get there so we'll be there in five minutes i'm like oh well we were gonna get a bite to eat is there any food available at the airport for a warm meal we could take it to go and he's like uh no everything closed at nine <laughs> Oh, come on, come on man. man. So we look at each other and we're like, fine. And he goes, well, I'll make sure they have, you know, crew meals for you on the next flight. And he gets on this walkie talkie and he, you know, calls over. So we went down the Jeopardy stairs and got in this VIP vehicle and, you know, and drove across the airport. And he's like, wow. He's like, uh, yeah, you would never have made it there. You would have gotten lost. I, mean, I, I know these things. I know how you guys work. <laughs> and uh, so we get there. The plane was all boarded up, and the flight attendants look at us, and, and I look at the number one, and I go, when do you guys time out? <laughs> she goes, "She goes, we timed out like 20 minutes ago, and we all extended. We want to go home. And I'm oh. like, oh. Okay, <laughs> so Captain and I look at each other. Let's These get pilots this. think they're so smart, outsmarting the system, but no, no. they were beaten this time. We're like every little, you know, okay. And, you know, in all reality, we were just always just like weighing our options. That's all we were doing, yeah. weighing our options. So, yeah, we ended up we ended up going to Chicago where I spent another short layover after a red eye at the airport hotel facility, and you know. Oh, man, red eyes. Yeah, red eye to a red eye to, a, to an additional handle. flying red eye. And so, of course, what happened on day three, we were supposed to go back to Dallas and then from Dallas to Ontario. Well, it was delayed because of the weather, as you probably had to contend with as well during the same time frame that you were doing your final flight on the 7-3. Mm. And the Ontario leg was canceled. Oh. So they put me on the first flight in the morning as a deadhead. So they gave me an additional hotel. Well, that is, I had to call them and say, Hey, uh, can you please put a hotel in my schedule? Because I'm now canceled. And she's like, uh, what do you need a hotel for? Aren't you flying out? Uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm flying out in the morning in 11 hours. Uh, at, when I land in Dallas, I'd like to make sure that I have a hotel. I don't want to wait till I get to Dallas and then find out that 
I have to wait another couple hours before you issue me a hotel. And then she was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, we didn't catch that. Okay, thanks for calling. We'll have a hotel ready for you. Well, of course, we were delayed. And so the, the AM deadhead I wasn't legal for. So I ended up taking the afternoon deadhead. So I actually lost an entire day. By the time I ended up in, in L.A. at Ontario Airport, um, it was like noon the next day. But Damn. it was still a date before right. I was, you know, much yeah. earlier. So I go home and, uh, you know, talk to the family and, and uh, had a conversation with my mother who lives up in Northern California. And she's like, can you come help me uh, finish up this remodel in the bathroom that the people I hired did a mess and I want, I need somebody to really take care of it. I'm like, you know what? <sighs> I talked to the family and they're like, just go, just go do it. That way when we go up there for vacation, it's done and you're not swinging a hammer while we're supposed to be out, you know, enjoying San Francisco and the Bay Area. So I drove, I got in the car and drove seven hours <laughs> with all my Damn. tools and <laughs> did a little bathroom remodeling and some, uh, some, some other DIY stuff there at her house. And she had just uh, moved into a, uh, her place upstairs. And so I did four days up in the Bay area and then came back and had a, a day to kind of recuperate and then back again on the 20th to do another Ontario trip. And so mind you, I've been doing nothing but Ontario the entire month of June, and I have I had yet to actually land an airplane at Ontario Airport. It's either been deadheads or <laughs> go to LAX or deadheads there or whatever. So I'm like, one of these days I'm going to actually land an airplane here. <laughs> so sure enough, <laughs> uh, the next day, you know, we had weather issues, and the, we had a two-day that turned into a three-day that gave me, again, a deadhead into Ontario. <laughs> so then I had 11 hours in base at home. I went home, repacked a bag, and then did another three-day trip back-to-back. Oh, -back. And yeah, so uh, podcasting was really not on the schedule yeah. there for quite some time. Yeah. That's um, exhausting, that schedule. That's fatiguing. Anytime you, know, you have it alone, you need, to, you need to recharge your batteries. It's tough. Yeah, and somebody was posting online that uh, whenever they do a red-eye, it takes them like three days to recover. And I'm like... Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> 11 hours. You got to get going, man. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that trip, actually, the this last trip that I just finished yesterday, uh, amazing, amazing trip. Great uh, crew. Yeah. And not like, not unlike what you did over in Guadalajara, we actually all went out together. Uh, and wow. not only that, we had two layovers back to back, same crew. Wow. So, yeah, we got to go have pizza and some adult beverages in Columbus, and then we at, went out and had uh, a little bit of uh, food and some adult beverages in Spokane, and it was a really nice thing to kind of connect yeah. and talk about families and stories with your with your crew. And we and we mentioned that, that I haven't done this for years since yeah. back in the day, you know? Yeah. Um, but finally, it awesome. happened. I landed yeah. an aircraft at Ontario International Airport. Oh, my gosh. What was that feeling? It feel like you were based at home or something? No pressure, but it was like, <laughs> I've got to make this a greaser, man. I was like, where's my family? they got to come out here and videotape yeah. this. <laughs> that's cool. So that's it. Uh, it felt, yeah. felt kind of under the weather. I think it was more exhaustion and some yeah. sinus issues uh, from air conditioning running. It's been so hot out here in SoCal and everywhere I was going. I mean, even Spokane was like 102. It was like crazy up there. So with all this, wow. had a little bit of post-nasal, ended up at uh, urgent care to get checked out because with all this that's going around, um, upper respiratory, I thought, I'm not going to take any chances. And sure enough, 
they said, well, you know, you probably just have colds and post-nasal. You've got some lung congestion. He goes, yeah. you know, that's really all you have. He goes, normally I'd say over-the-counter medication, but in accordance with the CDC guidelines, we're going to recommend you do a COVID test, even though you're vaccinated and, and, and whatnot. And I'm like, well, you know, whatever you think. Um, and considering I'm supposed to go to work tomorrow, probably best that you just rule out the COVID thing. And that way I don't feel bad if, you know, I'm one of those extremely rare occurrences that has been vaccinated and comes down with the Delta variant. You know, who knows? You have made a covenant with death and with hell you are in agreement. You're all going to die. So I got tested and then he goes, okay, get your results in three days. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you can't just what? tell me like rapid test 45 minutes. I'm like, no, no, we don't do that one here. We do the three day. So of course he goes, you have to quarantine until you get your results. Your results. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Okay. So I had to call the chief pilot and go through the whole hoops with that. So I was removed from flying until pending my results. And today we're recording a podcast. <laughs> Man, that's, that's a crazy, uh, crazy life you're living there, Tony. That's, uh, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Just keep changing those batteries, man. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Got to recharge them. Keep recharging them. That's a fatiguing, man. That, and that, uh, you know, what you, you're alluding to is um, a common problem right now, I think, which which everybody's experiencing in aviation, airline. I'm sure Roger's been doing it for a while, too, is, you know, for a long time there with when, you know, the pandemic hit, you know, we found ourselves twiddling our thumbs, you know, at home and, you know, getting very few flights in and all of a sudden, like they were predicting, uh, things were going to turn around really rapidly. And next thing you know, the Amazing. tempo of our operation has just, ex you know, for lack of a better word, exploded. And, um, we yeah. are going at, you know, we're red line right now at our, at our, at our, at our company. Um, and we're having to cancel a lot of flights because there are just not enough crews to staff, um, some of the, the, you know, the operation, the way it's been happening, especially when you throw some weather into the mix. Um, so guys like you guys like me, uh, we are, we are just running ourselves into the ground with, uh, I think I lost you guys. I'm going to pause here until I, know I can you hear you. Back. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Sorry. Bad internet connection. Internet That's my issues. end. It says your internet connection is unstable. That's untrue. I'm unstable. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, to kind of finish up my comment here, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very, very, I think it's a very dangerous situation. If, um, if we don't watch ourselves, watch each other, you know, in your situation, you and your captain talked about, you know, your fatigue level and, and, you know, you find those red eyes. I mean, you, you got to be careful and don't let, you know, the operation push you into doing something that you're, uh, you're just not physically ready to do, you know, cause you know, this is a very, very, um, I wouldn't say stressful, but just mind fatiguing kind of a job, you know, you're, you're, may not be physically doing much, but you're constantly evaluating, you know, with your brain, it's running on, you know, all eight cylinders, the 12 cylinders, depending on what kind of car you are. Um, 
it, it and, and you can run out of gas, you know what I mean? So you, uh, when you do, uh, things start happening and you may not catch it, uh, at the right time. And that's when you start having, start making mistakes and, um, hopefully we don't string enough mistakes to, to make an accident, um, or an incident. So anyway, that's yeah. enough said about that. Good job, man. I'm glad you're get some time off and recharge those batteries. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, I, we're going to wrap it up here on this flight and I just need to take pause because we are so excited that we got another listener feedback, you know, to receive these really make this whole podcast and all the time that we put into it and all the love that we put into to this show worth it. It absolutely makes it worth it. And I got to say thank you to Nick St. Croix who sent an email to us uh, from the contact tab right there on our Aviator Tony website. And he writes, I've been listening to the show pretty much from day one and figured I'd finally send some feedback. I want to start by saying that your show is the best part of my week, and I appreciate you taking the time to produce this podcast. I especially enjoy the episodes where you offer some insight into the life of an airline pilot and discuss some of the things you endure on a typical workday. I think we got that one covered on this episode for <laughs> sure. Uh, the last few episodes have been some of my favorites for that reason. I just finished my commercial pilot license in January, and I'm currently working on finishing my CFI. Congratulations. That is... Amazing. And keep nice it up. Nice job, man. Good job. Absolutely. Good he also job. goes on to say, I aspire to work for the airline someday. My goal is to start at Envoy, a very reputable company, I must say, and hopefully someday flow through to American, another very reputable company. I'm a huge Airbus fan and have flown it quite a few times in the simulator. My best friend works for JetBlue training facility in Orlando, where I currently live, so I've been fortunate enough to do some some sessions there with him and an instructor. It was very difficult road for me to finish my training, mostly because of financial reasons, having to work two jobs to put myself through training. And on the days when I feel discouraged or like I'm never going to finish my CFI and move on, listening to your podcast and your upbeat, positive outlook towards the profession and life in general gives me a lot of hope and motivation to pick myself up and keep working towards the goal. I can genuinely tell you, I can genuinely tell you love what you do. Just wanted to give you a shout out and thank you for all the great work you do. It is truly a pleasure listening to your show and you are a huge inspiration. I wish you all the best. Regards, Nick St. Croix. Well, Nick, congratulations Congrats, on, Nick. on your achievements. Best of luck. Yeah, man. And keep, keep, keep that going. feedback keep coming, man. Um, we love yeah. hearing about the listeners and their progress yeah. In, yeah. In, in aviation. That's it the whole reason feel for the show. too, man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It makes us feel really good that people are listening and they're enjoying the podcast. And, and I got to give, give all the props to you, Tony. I mean, you're, you're the one that's uh, putting in all the hard work on this uh, yeah, podcast. I mean, part. yeah, me and Roger, we just we're talk. just... Yeah, we're we're just you know contributing to the content, but uh, you know you produce it, you put it all together. Um, you're spending all your hard-earned money and doing it, and I feel bad about that. But hey, dude, <laughs> listen, no, seriously, in all seriousness, man, it uh, it all props go to you. Um, you're doing a great job, and I'm just happy that you know you're you allowed me to be part of it. 
Oh, well, thank you, gentlemen. I mean, you guys really do, you know, make the show so much better with your, with your insight and your, your positive. I mean, that's, that's why I call you my friends is that your, your positivity and how much maturity and you guys both are so supportive and just having you on the show, it's just so natural for me. And, you know, as we bring on more and more guests onto the show, uh, and, and more people to help out. Um, it just, it's almost become its own little community, uh, <laughs> yeah. the Squawk Ident community where we can sound off in a positive way and try to inspire and motivate those who are interested. I mean, if I had somebody telling me what to expect in this industry when I was much younger, I'm sure I would have gotten into aviation a lot sooner. And Same so here. if we can do any little part I mean, this feedback really kind of brings it all together. So thanks again. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Thank you, Rob and Roger. Just having a blast doing this. Um, It is a lot of work. It does take a lot of time. Uh, Usually when I'm on my layover, if I'm not out eating or exercising, I'm I'm sitting in front of my laptop (laughs) editing the audio for this or creating the videos for the YouTube page. So, So definitely. Thank you. Well, when training so, is over, I think yeah. it's time we do a meetup, maybe at your friend's uh, brewery in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Because yeah, that'd be awesome. Roger and I could just drive up and we can just sit there, set up shop and do a little yeah. live remote. You know, that we definitely need to do that. I I, um, I need to put that on my radar so that I'm planning it and, and I see yeah. it and plan it. So, yeah, that, that'd be awesome. Maybe uh, we could probably look at each other's schedules not for july but for august uh august and beyond and see what see if there's something we can do because yeah and i I need to go see my buddy i haven't been out to his new place out there um and i haven't you know with everything that's been going on it's been more than a year so yeah yeah even a facebook live stream so if you're not following the squawk and in on facebook uh, maybe we'll do a live stream of the show and you can see all the all the all the pre-edit uh follies that actually happen here (laughs) Maybe I can get him to brew a, a special batch of beer for us. Uh, maybe call it the what? squawk, the squawk ident, um, you know, or growler or something like that. That so, would be yeah, we'll awesome. We that'd be oh, neat. Take that'd my money, neat. please. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> well, I'll talk to him. See what yeah, for sure. Let's let's. And if hey, if you the listeners out there are, are liking that idea, come out and meet up with us. Uh, let us know. We'll definitely put it out uh, on the calendar at least thirty days out. Yeah. Well, let me just say thank you for taking the time to follow us on this journey and listen to this podcast. As Flight 82 is starting its final descent into the virtual airport, we here at Squawk Ident would like to thank you for coming along on this adventure with us. Please help us out. Make sure you subscribe and follow to the Squawk Ident podcast wherever you're listening. Please spend a moment and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the show. We appreciate your support and especially your feedback. You can also send us audio feedback via the comments page from the website. That's at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November Yankee.com. There you can also find audio archives, photos from the flight line, our Squawk Ident pilot shop, and guest book photo tab as well. You can also contribute to the show financially right there on the homepage. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can find us under the Squawk Ident podcast. A big final thank you to Captain Roger and Rob for joining me today, and a big thank you to you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, 
and take care of each other. Bye, everyone. Thanks, See everybody. ya. Thanks. Day one, extremist vision starting three miles west of the field, expanding to about 10 miles west of the field. Here is a one-time all commander at North East Island. Hey, Buckeye, put your alert down at the airport. 18 arrival, 39 gain over the runway. Fisher, one mile final, airport winds 150, bed 13. And with your alert, runway 18 departure and 159 gain over the runway. Wins 14012.